3: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game and playing in a brand new beautiful European competition which is the first half of our review coming up uh, where we look at the Marseille game as well as our creditable draw with Liverpool, both games ending 2-2 just when we thought we wouldn't do draws at all this season, uh, a bit of a twist in the tail there. Um, I want I want some money on that as well. I predicted a two draw, so there we go. Anyway, we have a bumper crew tonight. Uh, for the first half hour, uh, we are joined by Jack Phillips. Welcome back, Jack.
0: Thanks for having me, Ruff.
3: Absolute pleasure, sir. Um, we will be talking to you in plenty of detail about your trip to Marseille. Also, to my co-host Peter's trip to Marseille. Hello, Peter. Right. Nice. Um, it's also a welcome back to Simon Tipple, who it's been quite a while since we've had you on, Simon. Uh, you two were at uh, uh, the South of France for that epic event. Um, welcome to the pod to you as well, Si.
0: Yes,
4: Russ.
3: And to make matters even more crowded, we have Alan and Andy Bass as well with us. Um, so welcome one and all. Um, all right. Without any further ado, because Jack's only got about half an hour with us, uh, we'll probably crack straight on talking about the first of the two matches that we need to talk about, which is the Marseille game. Now, Andy, Alan and I weren't there. Peter, Simon and Jack, you were there, um, all travelling separately, doing your own separate things. You weren't with each other. So I'm sure we've got three separate um, sets of stories here to to be going on with. So I guess uh, let's start with you, Jack. How was it in terms of the travel, the the event, and and I guess the match as well? We'll talk about the match more in a minute, but first of all, your your experiences.
0: Uh, it was pretty pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, it was uh, helped by the result, that had a had a lovely time out in France. Spent a day in Paris, and then got the TGV all the way down there, so just the uh, high speed rail. Turns out quite good. Um, and then uh, we we spent the we got the Marseille about midday, uh, headed over. To checked into our hotel, headed over to the square, uh, picked up our tickets, everything ran pretty smoothly. Decided we'd get on a gorgeous day and we decided we'd get on a bus, uh, pretty early compared to everyone else. And, uh, that's when things didn't act like a normal away day. I say. <laughs> uh, we were given a police escort through the motorways around Marseille to get to the ground, um, uh, including the police pulling over, uh, Every single car onto the side of the motorway so we could drive in between them, which meant that you had thousands of Marseille fans standing outside their cars on the side of the motorway, giving it as much as they could, um, which was fun. It felt a bit like being, you know, a scab in the minor strike, but it was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was, uh, it was, it was fun at that point. Um, and we got to the ground, um, uh, and unlike, you know, some of the stories, we got to the ground about an hour and a half before pick-off. Came into the ground were able to drink in our seats um uh as some people were able to smoke in their seats not me um thankfully, but it seemed pretty uh do whatever you want um at the time uh and then as it started to fill up it it that atmosphere was just sort of debilitating really um I've <laughs> never been anywhere so loud um in my life uh and <laughs> It, it was, I had a guy next to me, who kept trying to start chants, and, uh, he, I, I had no idea what he was saying. He was about 30 centimetres away from my left ear, and I was going, turned around to me at one point, and I was like, I can't hear you, mate. It's, it's too loud. <laughs> um but it was a wonderful experience, I'm sure we'll talk about the game more, and then, uh, yeah, just had a very long day of getting the TBG, TGV back the following day, and, and then at last train back to St Pancras on the Europa.
3: Yeah, and, and I understand you, you saw Jonathan Pierce and his son, there as well.
0: Yeah, that was uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, he turned up uh, a little bit out of breath. Um, we were sort of quite far back in the top tier, and he turned up a little bit out of breath, took someone's seat, and they went, you, you don't sit there, mate, and he looked quite irate, and then realised he was in the wrong section, had to up a <laughs> few more stairs, uh, which he didn't look happy about. But, yeah, it was a bit, <laughs> bit odd going up. Where do I know that that's Jonathan? What are we doing in the away end?
3: <laughs> well, for anyone that doesn't know, he lives in Hove. He is a Bristol City fan. Uh, obviously, this is Match Day commentator for Match of the Day, etc. If anyone doesn't know who Jonathan Pierce is. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he's a Bristol City fan. He lives in Hove. His uh, wife is a Palace fan. And subsequently, his son is a apparently a Brighton slash Palace fan uh, who must be the one and only one of that kind in the world half and half. if that if that story is true which I think it is half and half scarf I suppose he probably could justify having one of those could be um, but obviously he's, he's got uh, quite a bit of affiliation with the town he lives in maybe brought up in maybe born in I don't know um, so uh, yeah he was clearly there for that reason I, I guess um and um, I, know I saw some nodding going on from uh, Simon and Peter when you were talking about the noise and the atmosphere. Um, so clearly you guys agree with that, and that's that's the story I've heard from everyone I know that's been uh, been there. Um, so Peter, next, I mean, how was your uh, how was your experience in terms of the pre match, the travel, and then arriving at the ground, et cetera?
2: Yeah, pre match, I, I think I must have been slightly ahead of Jack. In fact, I know I was because weirdly I saw you in the queue. Um, but we were in the coach, we were trying to wave at you and you, you didn't notice us. Um, so I know I was like probably a one set of coaches ahead of you. So the traffic wasn't too bad going out for us. There was no like, there was only a few people queuing where, where the police were blocking the road. So um, yeah, I don't think there was, yeah, there were that many Marseille so fans being abusive until we got nearer the ground and there were a few walking along, kind of like genuinely swearing at us and that sort of thing, which was charming. And I do think, to be fair, most of the people who are coach were probably doing the same back. So
3: <laughs> I'm not that
2: surprised. I think my thing was just, my thought was just how much organization must go into that whole thing. The amount of police who must be working on that and stewards as well to get, to block off all the roads, to get, to work in the square, to work at the ground. I mean, it must cost them a fortune. Why? Surely it's cheaper to try and actually sort out the behavior of their ultras rather than actually making us do that every time you assume that most European games it happens, but. Yeah, the noise, I completely agree with Jack, I've been saying since then, it was just insane. I mean, you know, you get you get used to home fans in the UK just being really quiet and not making much noise at all, with a few exceptions. And they just didn't shut up all night. They were incredible. To be fair, there wasn't that much antagonism, I didn't think, towards us. There was a little bit, but not too much. It was mainly just supporting their team and being extremely loud about it. And the fact they had ultras at both ends as well, which is quite impressive, having like two sets of very loud fans at both ends was... Amazing. The the way back I did I I think probably I was in the middle group on the way back, so we got back to the square about eleven, which is a lot better than some people but not as good as others. Hmm. Um so it could have been could have been a lot worse. But yeah, it was just I mean the, the whole thing was incredible and obviously out yeah, getting the LA equalizer to get what I think could be a huge point as well given the situation in the group. If we'd, if we'd lost that, we'd have been four points adrift to both Marseille and Athens, which would have been a long way back with, I know it's only it only down two, but still would have been a long way back. So to keep in touch with everyone within a win of every team in a group was was massive. And yeah, it's just one of the things I'm definitely, you know, I was a bit, when I read all the stuff initially, I was a bit like, this sounds a bit like a bit mental, but I'm really glad I went. And yeah, although I, in a way I'm looking forward to understand Athens more, because I think there will be better experiences generally but Marseille was probably an unrepeatable one in general.
3: Yeah, and it's the first one. It's the historic one. Of yeah, both.
2: exactly. Um,
3: and, um, I mean, the atmosphere, in terms of what you're saying about the atmosphere, what we're talking about here is not just the generic singing, but it's the its the kind of the inherent whistling, isn't it? And the the whole kind of just general noise, the, the level yeah. of noise. Just is- and,
2: and the flares as well. They're going to be a bit of a shock at the Amex when there's a largely <laughs> quiet... Proud in December and there's no flares and it's nothing we might do fire cannons I suppose that'll, that'll cheer them up
3: I know Jack you wanted to come back in there I think I, I feel we're going to be a bit of a letdown aren't we to uh, the away <laughs> fans in European games this season
0: yeah I was just going to say like um, it, that that sort of either end and the call. they had this moment where they did a call and response between each end and there's about 10,000 fans on each side uh, in absolute unison um, it, it was pretty terrifying actually See that many people sort of, um, doing exactly the same thing at the same time. And, and also, people you got very lucky getting back to square by 11. We were part of the, the top tier last ones out. And, uh, yeah, I think we got back to square just after midnight. And then it was a, a very moody, quite scary walk back to the hotel. Um, the police sort of went, okay, that's all the broken fans done. See you later. uh, Yeah, it was quite quiet
2: when we walked back to our Airbnb, uh, yeah, just after 11, and I think there were still some police around, so it was okay, but yeah, I can imagine at 12, they are probably like, oh, we've had enough of this now.
0: Yeah, it was a bit get your head down, get out of there, Um, (laughs) do quickly as possible, uh, stick to the main road.
3: Yeah. I know a friend of the show, Robin, as well, He's he's been on one of the other pods talking about his experience. And essentially he was flying from Edinburgh, landed, everything was okay. They went to the square. They got there quite early, got their tickets collected in plenty of time and were on one of the earlier buses. I think they got in an hour and a quarter before the game. Um, they were in the upper tier. They were one of the ones that got out early as well. It was a bit bizarre because I think he was saying people were just being channeled down from there um, downwards. And then um, they had to wait, but they didn't wait for so long and then got out earlier, and he was actually able to talk the police into letting him go out to his hotel, which is right by the stadium, uh, which obviously he pre-planned to, to stay out well before the uh, the ticket sales and everything and all the information came out. And um, I don't think many people were able to do that, but they, I think at first they were told they weren't going to be able to do that at all, definitely had to get the bus back to the, uh, the same drop-off point, um, but then they were able to get out, which was uh, certainly a benefit to them. And they said they, their general experience was quite positive, the police were quite... Yeah, I mean they they didn't know what was happening with certain things, and that that was all that was the issue with some elements. Other elements, they were in quite good humour, and I think even joking about pallets at one point. He said, uh, which is interesting. And Peter, yeah, you've got yeah. Uh, it,
2: I was surprised to read yesterday Paul Barber's program notes. He said that the plan originally was that once the first convoy left the ground at the end, that people would be able to go their own way if they wanted to. Hmm. Which wasn't what they were kind of highlighting initially. I didn't, what I understood was from what the pre-match stuff was that you had to get the the bus into and out of the ground. But he was saying the French, they'd agree with the French police and the French authorities that people could make their own way after the first convoy had gone (laughs) and that the French broke that, that promise or broke that agreement or for whatever reason they, they decided to change the plan.
3: People were essentially were left for somewhere between, I think about two hours and a, two and a half hours to three hours in the stadium after the game. In other words, after the evening game had <laughs> finished elsewhere around the world, around the, the continent. It was um, so
2: hot as well in that car park and, and on the stairs. Yeah. It was, and, it, it, and I no think drink, a lot no, of people would have been dehydrated and there was no water or anything like that around as well. It and was,
3: no toilets either. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So, you know, we yeah, I agree with Jack. We, we were quite lucky to do it only for like an hour and a half.
0: But, yeah, it really sounds like the various people have been there much longer. You did, of course, miss um mop Man and Joel Beltman's song for about an hour and a half of that, if you uh, if you left any earlier. Um, which was one of the most bizarre experiences I'll ever have before in the Albion, being stuck in a concrete room with a, a sort of staircase to the side with like a window in it and a man hanging out with a mop. Uh, throwing it into a crowd before about a thousand Brighton fans went mental, uh, for the Joel Beltman song. And then the mop went back up to him and he sort of stood <laughs> on this little perch and looked like he was about to fall forward. And I oh, don't die, don't die. <laughs> and then threw the mop, got back down, everyone went mental. And that went for about, that kept his for about an hour and a half. And, uh, he, he says, he says football fans aren't cultured, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Mop man, brilliant. That's a new one on, on me. I haven't heard. The, uh, well, let's let's hear from Simon as well. Let's get you involved on on this chat because uh, obviously you were there as well. I mean, I don't know which category you fell into post match in terms of how long you had to wait, but I'm 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 going to guess you were unlucky. You were in the uh, the longer one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, we knew we is. had
4: to <laughs> we knew we had to be held in, so we didn't even bother trying to leave straight away. We just thought we'd sit in our seat and wait until we could get going. Um, and we were under, under the impression you'd be able to get drinks and food afterwards as well. Um, I think after, I didn't look exactly, roughly half an hour of being sat in our seats, the stewards came along and started ushering us out. And we thought, oh, okay, we'll get going then. Um, got into the concourse expecting to get a beer and a hot dog or something like that. That was all closed up, so that was no good. Um, then we obviously had the the Joel Veltman um, excitement which which was great fun to be fair um so that bit was all fine and then suddenly everyone starts you know so you start shuffling down the stairs you think all right we're moving um and then you end up sort of just on the step you can't move forward you can't move backwards you can't move left you can't move right it's roasting hot and we didn't move for about an hour and it was absolutely horrific i'm amazed albion fans were as patient as they were to be honest um and then we finally get down to the bottom, and you think, brilliant, we're, we're free. And then, no, we just have to sit in a car park for about, again, I don't know, I'm guessing on the times, maybe an hour in the car park, it felt something like that. Um, again, no facilities at all, no information. Um, and I think it could have all been, to an extent, it'd been frustrating, but if there'd been more communication, things open, like to give us food and drink and there was like plenty of space in that car park for people to go sit down and have a chat look at their phones but everyone's stood up almost like pressing forward to try and get onto this non-existent bus that doesn't mm-hmm. turn up for about an hour um so it could have been a lot more comfortable with a bit more communication um
3: could have made money as well if they served yeah. food and yeah.
4: obviously i saw one one fan sort of fainted at, at the front i think there's some stuff on social media about that um and it, well, yeah, think, yeah, it was,
3: it was horrible. Yeah. Um, I think there's reports that a dis- disabled fan was pushed over by a police officer. I don't know if that's true, that that's what actually happened or not. That's what a report, or some rumours around it, um, were the case. And they were sort of standing around like lemons, not really knowing what to do uh, after that. But um, anyway, anyway yeah. moving on. Yeah. Uh,
4: I, I didn't see that happen. I saw some medics come in to treat someone. I didn't see police push anyone. Um, to be fair, my experience with the police, they were all they were fine um they all came down in their sort of right gear through the steps while we were still on the steps which was interesting trying to find space where there was none um but as the you may have heard the Solly march alike, who uh, <laughs> took it all took it very well and w- waved to us and they all seemed uh quite friendly to be fair it was, i don't you know i imagine it's not the individual officers sort of responsibility since i of doing all the organizations so those people the ones we had or, you know, my group had interaction with were, were fine, but um, it was just the overall organisation was a mess. Um, and then getting onto the bus afterwards was just crazy. You know, it's like absolute sardines. And you think people pressed against the um, the doors and you're thinking, blime, if this door opens and we're all just like falling into it as we're flying around these roundabouts and stuff like that it could be bad. Um and yeah, like I was with my dad who turned 17 next year and he was in a really bad way, like almost collapsed kind of thing. It was completely right. out of it. Um, and then when we actually got off the bus, it basically just sort of fell off the bus and just sort of collapsed onto the street. And we just had to sit on the street for like 15 minutes just to get some oxygen in oh, and that really sort of cool. thing. So it was really, really, I don't know, like, I'm not the only person who sort of experienced that sort of thing. I've seen loads of sort of reports of, people having that sort of thing because you you know you couldn't really breathe at that very well in the concourse um it was so hot and i guess so many people in a confined space then on the bus it was just as bad um you know you, you just couldn't move on the bus and it was a reasonably long journey um so yeah all of that was a, a shambles
3: when you've been standing up <laughs> that long way to get out the stadium and yeah a bus a moving bus all that stuff as you said the heat and it's unsurprising that plenty of people would have had that experience you said you had with your dad there and um i mean th- this is with a well behaved crowd with no ticketing issues and um no particular beef between the f- sets of fans um so you know it's any wonder what happens uh, in paris at an end inadequately located stadium with a misconception or like a, a pre supposition about what Liverpool fans would be like from a overbearing police force in, in, in Paris. So at least, at least it was all right, but uh, in overall nothing disastrous happened, but you know, with, with nothing antagonistic happening for it to be that unpleasant in places uh, at, at certain points during the, even, uh, during the day, um, not great ideally, is it really? Um, uh, Jack? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just, uh kind of agree with Simon it was it was as a 29 year old on that bus it was unbelievably hot I found myself sort of, after standing there for what two, two and a quarter hours inside the ground then being on a 40 minute bus that only had like a crack in a window to sort of breathe out of with sardines it, it was it was tough and then just sort of uh also agree with, with Simon I thought the French police themselves were great and they were like really friendly really kind of made a Quite an effort by Chathy. The, the, uh, CRS, though, were were terrifying and it, there was such a difference between the two in how they re- reacted with, interacted with fans. Um there was a bloke near us who, you know, very bright and was saying, you know, how are you and thank you to every police officer and, uh, and Riot Squad, <laughs> Riot Squad member. Um, that passed and every police officer had a chat and was like, oh thanks, you know, enjoy the night and every rights guard member was reaching for their baton um, it was a very different kind of approach from the two and, and I think thank God for the French police keeping a kind of lid on things because cause the, the um, CRS has a bit of a reputation mm. and it, it could have been pretty nasty, especially towards the end of waiting when I think people were just really fed up when it I think the the Albion coach left or the Marseille coach left and you can see them squeeze out and you're like we're still in the ground and the teams have left everyone's left the ground what are we waiting for um and it was it was pretty sort of uh boring on top of that all i think but um yeah thank god we got those late um those late goals um because it was pretty buoyant at the same time and uh that that last minute penalty is something that'll live with me forever really it was pretty special Yeah.
3: yeah nerves of stone and we'll talk more about that in a moment but um and I, I know peter you wanted to come back in uh on something there but i was going to ask actually uh the solid march scenario so were they singing marseille jeanne you're one of our own or something <laughs> no such song no that would have been good is it jeanne or is that only for paris is that i don't i don't really know i don't, I don't know what the uh, terminology is but um uh, yeah peter i think you were trying to come back in on something earlier weren't you there?
2: I think I was but I can't actually remember what it was now um, but yeah I think I mean yeah I echo I mean I was only there for half the time the others were but yeah it was it was chaotic and the people I think we got out we got into a coach luckily and so it wasn't as crowded as um, Jack and Simon are saying so we actually weren't too badly off but it was there was no aircon on it for quite a long time and it was only people like basically persuading the guy to put the aircon on that made it bearable from our side otherwise it would have been equally horrendously hot And just people were just milling around. Whilst the coaches looked like they were full, but they sat there for like half an hour, even after all the coaches were full, and people were just milling around who hadn't got onto them, not knowing what to do as well. It's like no one was very clear. I don't know why they changed the plan of what it was or what they were going to do. But yeah, it's.
3: I don't know if there's maybe there's some intelligence being fed through. Maybe about yeah. things that were going on. They were trying to avoid and negotiate timings to avoid things, because I think on the way in, apparently people circumnavigated uh, a civil issue that was going on somewhere. There was some kind of trouble, nothing related to Brighton at all. I think it was something to do with um, some local gangs or something um may not even be to do with the football at all but you know maybe there's stuff like that going on they have to keep taking into account as well, well. Yeah, I mean,
2: we've circumvented pretty much the whole city i think because it took 45 minutes to 50 minutes and it was a nine minute journey i looked at my phone the next day and by car it was a nine minute journey you could walk it in a little over an hour so basically kind of the, the same time it took us to get there in the coach
3: yeah um alan do you want to jump in there uh, you have to come off mute probably, I suppose in the best traditions. Classic. It's a classic. Uh, yeah. Schoolboy era. Well, first one of the season, <laughs> I think that is. nice.
5: Yeah. And no, I was just curious to, to find out from you three guys that went, uh, what the experience was actually before the match, uh, say for example, on the Wednesday night, if you, if you arrived on the Wednesday and then, and then during the day leading up to when you had to actually get the coach, um, I saw some good, really nice photographs of people, um, in bars and, and stuff, but, uh, was there any kind of tension or any problems at all, do you think?
0: No, I think from my perspective, it, it, the lead-up to the game was quite fun. It was it was beautiful weather. Um, sort of, uh, I think because of the way it was sort of done in that, you know, we went to the ground really early and you went to pick up your ticket and there was loads of police around and they were really friendly. It felt pretty good. Um, met up with a load of people um, in the square and then sort of, I was getting a bit busy, so I decided to jump on a, a train, probably not train a bus, uh probably about two hours before kickoff. Actually a bit bit longer than that, about two and a half hours before kickoff. Um which I'm glad we did because it, it still took about an hour um from that point to get to the ground. Um but it was yeah, it was all pretty friendly, I thought, before match, Um it was just uh it, it took so long after the game that it kind of was a shame. Um and Once we got to the ground, it was great. You could drink beer in your seat. Um, I don't know what the food options were, they were you know selling glazed crisps. Um, but that's what I really thought. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh,
3: yeah. And anyone have, but is it boulevards? The uh, famous dish from around that way, especially pretty good fish stewy thing. Not, right?
2: not at the ground, obviously, but yes, we <laughs> did have it on uh, the next day afterwards. Um, I was going to say, I think. I agree. I think it all seemed quite relaxed. I thought the ticket thing was really well organized Mm because the only example of something similar we'd had before was Cheltenham, which obviously was a complete disaster (laughs) where fans would pick up tickets in advance. But yeah, there was no queue. We walked in about 11 on Friday and there was no queue on Friday, on Thursday. And there was 11 on Friday would have been a bit late and no queue at all. Um, but it was, yeah, it was like we walked in, no problems. There was plenty of staff. And yeah, there was literally no one there when I went there. So that was really good. The. It's interesting because Marseille's ground looks really nice from the outside, the bit we saw of it. And it's really impressive in the actual bowl. But the 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 concourse is horrendous. It's basically just a concrete mass. There isn't actually anything. You know, It's just it's not very welcoming at all. There's a few side bits you can lean on. And the actual stands, except for the one which was actually the quietest at the back, the the other ones all had pretty much the shutters down and a small hole to talk to people through, which I found really (laughs) odd if they're trying to sell you stuff. It's a very strange way to do it, you know. It's like you think about like places like Wembley and that sort of thing, and the bigger grounds in the UK, and they all have like really quite decent concourses. And yeah, you know, look at the Amex one, and very welcoming. The only one that was actually fully open, you could actually see what you wanted properly, was the one right at the back, which was actually the quietest as well, which worked quite well because we went there and didn't have to queue very long at all. But yeah, most of them had the shutters down, a small hole in the shutter just to talk to people with, and it just it, considering you're trying to sell people stuff, it doesn't seem a very friendly way of doing it.
3: Well, I thought Villa was bad, I and mean, I've been there before, of course. The upper tier, and they've got a really small, very cramped area, very small serving point. I thought that was bad, but this sounds ridiculous. It sounds it like just a- concrete.
2: It was, a li- and it's in a really nice new ground on paper, or not new, yeah. but redeveloped ground. So They've obviously chosen to just make either the away end or the whole thing. I don't know. Just mm-hmm. concrete in the in the concourse, and it's yeah, it's not the most uh, encouraging to buy stuff and. Uh, so I had to hang around and have a drink, but yeah, we were there for like we were there about two and a half hours ahead, so we obviously did have something to drink.
3: There's a there's sure. couple of there's plenty of stories, I'm sure, about the the travel, but a couple of bits just to mention. Um, we, uh, there's uh, a friend of ours, David, was um already in France, and he was due to just travel from Toulouse to um to the ground for the match. Um, obviously picking up tickets as everyone else did from the designated square somewhere else in the city, and um unfortunately there was a suicide on in front of the train. He, he was what. Well, to the train that he was travelling on so he was delayed by a collective total in the end of i think more than 5 hours and he missed the game as a result which is an absolute nightmare he um all he could see was the second half in his hotel room right near the stadium ironically um or, or cruelly I should say um which is horrendous um and because of course they did extend the ticket i think the collection point was going to be till 3:45 i think they realized a lot of people had made plans prior to this information going out so they i think they extended it didn't they till uh, till or from two forty p.m. I think till six p.m. Yeah, oh, yeah, but that was still too way too late for David. But there's also a plane, wasn't there, that was heavily delayed, which had Tony Bloom on board. Um, which um, that, that an announcement came over the tannoy, apparently saying, "This is not your captain speaking." It was Tony Bloom announcing that um, some transport was putting laid on to get people directly from the uh from the airport to the stadium, having their tickets taken to the stadium, so they could still. Gets into the ground. Uh, I think they might miss the beginning, but essentially it was a major uh, saving for the for those fans on board. I think there about a hundred Albion fans on the on the flight, and um, I think there was also a baggage drop uh, organised because obviously they would have had their travel bags with them. Um, and Tony Bloom was on the flight as well, and apparently he only made it by a matter of seconds, I think. Um, so there's all sorts of travel issues i think that suicide scenario caused all sorts of knock-on effects on various other uh, journeys elsewhere as well so a lot of stuff for people to deal with um but we hope everyone or as many as possible could have made it to the ground that we're trying to get there um but yeah what a nightmare for uh for david so i really feel for him um alan
5: yeah i'll just just going back to the, my question i was curious about the wednesday night really because just for the fact of learning from uh if I go to one of the other games, I mean, do you, did you feel that there was any kind of preparation by the police or the authorities uh, to cope with people on the Wednesday night? Or did you think Villers-Ate like was just like a normal, normal tourist visit to Marseille on the Wednesday night and it, it all kind of kicked off and changed, changed on the, on the Thursday?
4: It seemed all pretty normal and not much police from, from my experience. Um, but, my dad and I didn't go to any of the bars. We went to an Italian restaurant had a pizza and stuff. which was quiet. There was a few other Albion in there, but um didn't see a huge police presence, to be honest. Um, I know a load of Albion ended up, I think it was a place called the F Bar, just round the, the corner from where all the Albion fans were meant to uh, be the next day. And I heard a few reports about sort of the Ultras coming by on their little mopeds, taking photos of them and stuff like that. Um, I heard, heard a report of a this sort of van coming down the road from the hotel we were in was just basically all Albion. I think every single person in there was Albion, basically, and it was just about a six-minute walk away from um, from where we're, the, the square. We all had to congregate on uh, Thursday. I think a van came down that road and sort of just, like, got out the window, sort of said to the Albion fans walking down the road, like, are you Brighton? Are you Brighton? So I think they just said no, and it seemed to accept <laughs> that and drive off from what I could <laughs> tell. But, <Go> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um yeah i most of my hearings are sort of like second hand reports i think even down in the um the old the port was was fine from what i can tell i heard reports someone said he spoke to the police and the police had no issue of albion being in the uh in the port wearing colors or anything like that and it sounds like it was mostly okay until roughly sort of kicking out timers somehow being a you know a few drinks and decided to you know, bang on some street signs and make a bit of a presence and uh, attracted a little bit of attention. But as far as I know, there was no sort of clashes at all. I think you'll see some stuff going around on social media. I think that was just the police sort of dispersing maybe the ultras or maybe they are on their way <laughs> and yeah. they got dispersed, I don't know. But um, no, it was quite, quite, I'd say, you know, 99% of Albion fans were quite... Sort of following the advice of you know, not not in colors and keeping a being relatively low key. I mean, at the end of the day, if if you're a French Marseille Ultra and you want to find some bright fans, it's not going to be very difficult. You know, we we kind of stand out, you know, for how, how we look, how we dress, how we talk. <laughs> the area we're in is pretty obvious, but um, no, it all seems all seems fine, um, quite quite calm, really. Um, I'm actually slightly more concerned about what it'll be like in Amsterdam, in a way, because I think people's guards might be down mm. a little bit more, and I can see people being a bit rowdier and perhaps a attracting a bit more attention. A lot
3: attention. people there, yeah. were not The Spartan mm. fans will be there, up for a party anyway, won't they? And that's where it could spill over if people have too much to drink and say the wrong things, do the wrong things. Yeah, exactly. Uh well, I mean Alan's gonna be there for one, so that's that's one danger zone uh, I'm <laughs> 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 J- <laughs> Joking of course. Jack, uh
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, and I'm a bit worried about Amsterdam um, um, and there being, you know, reports of like five, six thousand Brighton fans in the city with three thousand tickets less than three thousand tickets available. Um that 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 could you know, mean that you've not got people there who are focused on going to the match, there's people there going, you know, to cause a bit of trouble maybe. But uh, it's, uh you were talking about the F bar thing and one of my mates was in there and he um he said that uh it was pretty scary but it was all sort of all right. He said one of the old friz they were sort of having a nice time not really looking outside as if you don't and uh then this, this banger went off in front of them uh in front of their table. And one of the elders sort of walked over and the landlord came out. Um, and they had a quick chat and the elders were like, you can, uh, you can stay, but we don't want to see you. We don't want to, you know, we don't, you don't, can't be seen to be having fun in Marseille on our watch. And, uh, the landlord went, right, everyone come on inside, put the shutters down, let them stay for a couple of hours and watch the end of the Newcastle PSG match. And he was like, oh, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty terrifying to have a guy come over and be like, you look like you're having fun. Stop! <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to say. You don't want to say or oh, what there uh, because uh, I think you
3: yeah. know the answer. <laughs> See how quickly things escalate with English fans abroad, you? Because so I think we're generally well behaved. Uh, most of us, right? Um, we do have an element like anyone else, but um, I think with that, you know, it would have taken very little for that to have kicked off into at least some kind of skirmish, wouldn't it? Yeah, um,
4: a couple of little bits to add. to that. on um on Thursday itself. There was. Um, clearly a couple of Marseille Ultras like over the street from the square um, sort of like just looking at like what was going on presumably like feeding back something to someone and then you had to go through like the sort of police cord and say you were bright and stuff but as you were going through you could see them like pointing and looking at these people and that sort of thing which <laughs> was just weird how they're just there watching us drinking um, and <laughs> one of them I think to me I mean I, I can't know for sure but there was this guy in there who was like very, very suspiciously, like with his camera, just like filming, like everyone in there, it doing it in one of these like, like really sneaky ways. Not like someone going around doing a vlog or you know cherishing the moment. It was done in like you're just sitting down on the curb or something in a bit of shade or something. And there's this person like just putting this like sneakily like filming you and stuff, and you're like, what? What is this about? It's weird.
3: <laughs> yeah, that that's quite scary, isn't
1: it? <laughs> well. I I must have found it odd that it was like literally the least up for it group of fans visiting their town but they're just having a drink and singing a stupid song about some bloke called Fatty what's going on can't can't figure it out
0: yeah my my mate in the uh, my mate who got caught up in the Bar, he was saying that um, uh, they started doing like uh, like chicken things and calling him a, a poulet and he was like <laughs> <laughs> and I like, like, think they were like, oh come on, give it a bit back. And he was like, Absolutely not. Never. No, I'm here for a nice time and a drink and I want to see the Albion play in Europe and that's it. I'm not here to fight
4: The final thing I I want to get in actually on on the ultras in terms of pre-match was um we ended up getting there about two hours before kickoff, maybe even slightly more than that. Um, Um we got in the upper tier and what was weird was a bunch of the ultras were already in the home end with all their flags and that sort of thing and basically as soon as we got in the grounds, they were straight over towards the way ends like giving us the most ridiculous gestures climbing up the fence like they're trying to get over the fence to get us at stuff like they looked like the most incensed angry people i've ever seen <laughs> and it was like most of brighton fans were just sitting there completely bemused like what what's your problem kind of thing? Honestly, it was like they were, it was, they were acting like more aggressive than, say, Palace fans would act. And it's like we've got no history with you at all yeah. and you're in the ground two hours before kickoff going crazy.
0: It was-, it, was that, it was that group for me. It was that group, like, directly to the left of where we were sitting who were in the, like, top tier of the corner of the, that band. And they, they'd all turn up really early and they were all, like, not sort of dressed normally. And then the, like, leader bloke turned up probably like an hour before kickoff and got on his little stand and they all in unison took their tops off and like you had this I would say a third of the stand just topless like smashing their chests and all dancing and it's like it's pretty nuts you know like I'm I'm in my late 20s but I wouldn't be comfortable like being in a group of 5,000 men with their tops (laughs) 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 off. just absolutely go mental and you're just like the commitment not in a great way, but the commitment is just nuts, and like, that they were willing to do that, and that that was normal, it was like alien, wasn't it? (laughs) It's funny
4: how they all distinguish their different ultra groups Mm. in that way, like you've got the topless ultras, I think you've got the orange ultras, all in orange shirts, the opposite end, I think there's a bunch of them all in black kind of thing Uh, someone told me they had about five ultra groups and I think they were all like distinct like, you know, we've all got to do something different to make ourselves stand out
0: And then that at the front, that weird West Ham flag they had at the front of the uh, ultra stand which I was reading it's something to do with humanism in the 80s, but like didn't know that at the time and just thought you're looking, you're like, wow, it's really impressive. Why is there a West Ham flag at the front of the Monday?
3: <laughs> it's sort of heavy dive, uh, diversity of um, people in the city as well. It's obviously a very big city. And it's, I think, as I understand it, the North has quite a strong North African um sort of presence and the south is more the i don't know the indigenous french whatever you want to call it and then i'm sure there's another multi-layered spread beyond that but um i think some of the groups there's a north african ultras group isn't there i think as part of it i'm, I'm not quite sure how it breaks down but i'd imagine that'd be the case as well um it's mad and there was also that video wasn't there which um went round of um people who assume are fans baiting the the brighton bench um but, i could yeah. probably- work out the details but well, I'm presuming that's when the penalty went in was it yeah, um, we, yeah. Uh, the Brighton players then celebrated it and they're getting told sit down English or something like that and um, I think Fatty was just giving it the big ones uh, yep. yeah the Labour
1: oh, yeah. was yeah. just uh, shushing them and taking the mickey and Solly was giving them the hot Paddington bear hard stare it was <laughs> it was uh, quite hysterical
0: there was a there was a video uh, that hasn't really done the rounds that i saw earlier of um which i didn't notice in the game but uh the the fence is right in the stand right so the fans are basically on you and um the the fence is getting pelted with with like pints of beer and, and drinks and stuff throughout most of the game and there's a video of Bart, the brugen um Almost trying to get into the crowd and fight some of the, and the Derby having to hold the Bruggen back. And it was, you know, tasty, let's call it. Um, <laughs> so I think when that, when that penalty went in, the, the Brian players, um, uh, uh might have been a little rattled and, uh, got, to, got to get their, their own back for a minute.
2: Yeah. The, the irony is those aren't even bloody the ultras as well. Those two dead who two yeah, ends those. So these are the <laughs> notionally the fans who are a bit
0: more calm and kind of, that was that was supposed to be the knighted of stand as well, yeah. like the club.
3: <laughs> this is the equivalent of you, Peter. This is you if you were French in Marseille.
2: It, it, the friendly locals, rather than the uh, psychotic
3: ones. Mm. <laughs> oh man, it, absolutely man. Uh, Alan.
5: Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that. Uh, did I notice that uh, in some areas of the of the ends of the stand, they kind of constructed some kind of platform from scaffolding, and then there was two guys shirtless on the standing there if you like almost like orchestrating the chanting and uh and also i noticed uh there was quite a few empty seats near the bottom corners i assume that those people were basically just kind of moved up and were standing much more tightly hmm. further up i think uh, it's uefa's it
2: regulations was... isn't it the front the front rows have to be i think the first few rows certainly two or three have to be blocked off like the uefa games i think because there were people saying about being moved from seats to ours as well for that
5: reason right. okay Okay. But yeah, I think it
2: was quite a bit more than that. I think yeah. people yeah. just don't buy them at the
0: front because they're pretty worried about getting pelted by their own fans. Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, it was noticeable
0: though, wasn't it, Peter? Um, I, I thought, you know, because it was a sellout, um, officially, um, but it was noticeable that I think, especially at the front of the stand to the left of us, there was maybe like 15 empty rows. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that meant that there was like 15 rows worth of people cramped into the top or, whatever, but but it was quite surprising when you sort of see some of the videos where you're like, oh, that's really impressive. There was a lot of empty seats down the front in the in front of the pit. And it I filled up a the last five late. minutes
4: as well. So it was really empty with five minutes to go before kickoff.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think there was
4: loads of traffic problems getting in, wasn't there? Because at, okay. at kick-off that stand where I left the lower tier, there was hardly anyone in it, but yeah. later on in the game it seemed a lot fuller. I can't remember how many rows necessarily went full, but a lot ended up in there as it as it went on.
3: Yeah, um, it looked like yeah. tons of Albion fans and the footage and especially one of the videos that was taken from down the front of where the away end was. Um, I, don't, I don't know what it shows the penalty and then whips across and there's a yeah,
1: Danny uh, lasts yeah, that was it, brilliant.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, and That's that I mean clear. that looked great. It looked like there was thousands, like five, yeah. <laughs> six thousand <000 of laughs> Albion fans from that the angle they took it at, which is great. Also, I noticed and uh, I think it was quite. Prevalent, actually. I'm um, a certain uh, Saint George's flag that was uh, spotted at the game, um, with a martlets in one quarter and Tipple family on tour in another quarter of the same flag. Anything to do with you by any chance, Simon?
4: Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> a bit of an of experiment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we got uh, got in there early, not to get the flag up, but just because we'd, we'd get. I, I thought there'd be problems with the buses, but if everyone's got to get a bus late like, and they've got to get. 3,000 of Albion fans in from the square I thought I'm just, I'd just rather get there to be honest um, yeah I got, got the flag up and um, yeah I was, I'm not sure if there's going to be anywhere to hang it in <laughs> or in the Cruyff Arena or whatever because I can it looks like it's all sort of fencing around us rather than anywhere to hang a flag but yeah that was fun
3: just, them up just before kick-off I guess yeah, yeah. got to be was seen got to be seen I've got to mention
4: the, the NSK flags though they're brilliant they're so good I think we were banging the middle of it which is actually kind of cool
3: um yeah were you in the front row of that tier then or you just second, you... second row oh, um
4: okay. yeah I was going to mention actually I think, I think um Jack alluded to it earlier but it was, it was almost like quite lawless in the away end in terms of like there was barely a steward on show to be honest um you know people were smoking in there which I wasn't a fan of personally but I guess people do what they want to do um Hmm. a a lady to our right got sort of like I think sort of basically fell over probably got like nudged in the back at some point like quite high up and she went down cracked her head and there's like sort of like no one there to help her no interest in it and stuff um some of the seats were all like marked wrong with wrong numbers and stuff which really didn't help especially when there's (laughs) not really anyone on hand to, to tell you what to do so it was Different, very different to what we used to. You know, watching the game in the Premier League or football league or whatever. You know, they're sort of just left to yourselves. Basically, they you can do whatever you want in there.
3: Well, we're good. Peter, the final word on this. I've got a feeling this might bizarrely have a Welsh Welsh theme. Yeah, about, so very
2: similarly to what Russ and I found at um, Newport, it's like only 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 comparison I can offer between Newport and Marseille's grounds. There were different sections with the same seat number and row, and that actually is really confusing. <laughs> I don't understand why you don't just number from one to whatever. But there was like there were two. I think L, whatever we, my dad and I were, and yeah, it was. And we ended up because we walked slightly along from where we came in. We found the row, and it just means you number backwards sometimes and forwards sometimes. It was, yeah, it's a bit, why don't you just number from 1 to 100 or 1 to 200 or whatever? It just seems illogical to have 1 to 20 section A, 1 to 20 section B. It's like, it's stupid. And, yeah, we had the same thing at Newport where a Welsh family came up to us and told us pretty bluntly that we were in their seats and to bugger off, basically, (laughs) and confused us. So, yeah, there are comparisons between Marseille and Newport's grounds, but not many. It was slightly bigger.
4: I'm, to, I'm not sure if it had something to do with the the Rugby World Cup because they had like stickers on those seats with like different numbers and stuff. So maybe they'd like reorganized it for the for the World Cup or something and not changed it back
5: for the oh, football. Maybe, but, yeah, oh, yeah okay. I don't know.
3: Um, Alan, do you want to quickly jump in before we talk about the match itself? And I don't. Yeah,
5: know if- I was just going to say it reminded me of my experience at Stamford Bridge the other week because I I, I purposely booked a picked a, a seat at the end of an aisle, but when I actually went up up the tu- up into the where the where the seats were it was actually blocked off at that, that that side so i had to go out again back down through the concourse and come up another way to kind of find my way to to get to my seat which basically i had to go right along to the end where where it was blocked off so i couldn't actually get out quickly i had to filter back out of other people which is a totally ridiculous situation but anyway that's uh, a, little, a little side issue
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> well uh, jack i don't know if you're able to hang on any longer or whether you've got to go at this stage um I'll give i've you got to old...
5: jump
0: off but um jump yeah lo- lovely um, being part of this yeah
3: well, well we'll talk through the game i mean same experience as you would have had with the game itself so yeah. that's, that's fine but it's great to have you on we'll have to get you back on again soon thanks for joining us and um and cheers to jack yeah so and then there were five um talking about the game so um <laughs> it's um a 2-2 draw 2 0 down, um, and then coming back. Obviously, that's the right way around if you're going to have a draw, isn't it, For to start with? Um, disappointing to, uh, concede the lead again in, uh, our second European match as well. And it's a, it's a matter of these comebacks. We keep conceding goals early in games, don't we? And not just in the European competition. Um, well, we look like, uh, yeah, kind of fish out of water a little bit, didn't we, in the early stages of this game? I mean, Marseille lined up with a number of players you've heard of. Um, in particular, they look good going forward. You've got the midfield of Rangier, Haute, and Veratou, I presume that's how it's pronounced, with um, the front three of Correa on the left and Daae on the right and Aubameyang, of course, who we know very well and who has scored a couple of goals against us in the past um, as the front line. And um, they were causing us problems, weren't they? They seemed to get the ball back very quickly, very easily. There was quick turnovers. They were getting a lot of threats down the sides, particularly on our left side. I thought we, were, we looked vulnerable. Um and of course, ended up in a, a, a 2 0 disadvantage um, thanks to um, a pretty well worked goal, but where we didn't close down enough. And then, of course, that mistake where um, the air kick from Dunk, which led to a, a break down the right, and led to the second goal. Um, not the greatest of starts. And you guys in the stadium, us guys sitting at home watching, must have had the same emotions thinking, oh shit, here we go. It's Aston Villa again. <laughs> Just a few days after the actual Aston Villa game, um, which I thought was a flattering scoreline uh, for the Villa match. But this, you know, we we weren't sure how it was going to pan out. Peter, uh, what were your thoughts at that stage?
2: So I actually didn't think Marseille were very good, to be honest. I don't, I think we gifted them two goals. Yeah. Um, The first goal came very similarly from, from the Villa first goal on the weekend as well. They got down their right, our left, and too easily, really easily. And, the ball across and there was, I I thought at least one or two players could have cleared it, it should have been there was like one or two, or three and he's saying, could have got there rather than the Villa one which was actually a really good cross in the end having got there, but the one against Marseille, there was like two or three players who just caught on their feet a little bit on the back foot and didn't and should have got something on it and it was obviously a quite simple finish the second really poor goal and obviously Dunkey missed it, I think Steele might have done better as well, although it was well hit, but it was very close to him and might have blocked it a bit, bit more effectively. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I don't know. But we just seemed to fall apart a bit. And for 40 minutes, we were way worse than Villa. Villa are a very good side with very good attacking players. Marseille are a really ordinary team at the moment, struggling to in the French first in the French top flight, mid-table, not offering anything. They they weren't a good team. We, in in reality, looking at it back at it, we should have won that game. If we played half decent in the first half, and and also he picked the right team as well, which he didn't, I don't think. He um he picked the wrong team really overall.
3: Yeah, if, but then one team, obviously, by the way, we, sorry, hmm? I was going to say it was Steele lined up in goal, at Duncan Van Hecker as the, as the centre backs Grosh and De Hood with Ansu Fati ahead of him, March on the right, mittimer on the left, Welbeck up front, and according to the graphics that came up on TV, Veltman at left back and Lampard at right back. Um, they seem to I, I noticed this happened with the um the sky coverage of the Liverpool match as well. They put Veltman, the guest he would be playing at left-back. I don't know why they keep doing that.
2: Yeah, and, and also, guest Gross will be at right-back, even though that left has been three wingers up further forward, which is a bit of a weird <laughs> yeah. one. Anyway, think.
3: that's another um, matter. Yeah, that was the team. But sorry, so, go on, Peter. So, yeah.
2: 40 minutes we were, I thought, dreadful. Didn't offer anything really. Fatty had one shot of the area, and that was about it. Then suddenly we woke up after the last five minutes of the first time and had two or three really good you know, one brilliant header for a really good header from Fatty from a fantastic ball from Dahoud, where the keeper really did made a good save. And then Welbeck should have done, either should have scored or should have plastered to Fatty to score. Um Either way, you can't miss in that situation. If you take the shot on, you've got to score because Fatty had an open goal, basically. And then, but, but second half, we seem to come out and I was surprised he didn't make any changes, but I wonder if those last five minutes made him try it a bit longer. And yeah, we we actually looked a different team, and the minute we got the goal, Marseille just started cheating. I know they started moaning about basically a foul from Lamptey, which was never a red card. I don't know what they're talking about. And the penalty, which was one of the clearest penalties you'll ever see. The guy literally trodden his foot when he was poked the ball past him. Didn't get anywhere near the ball. How is that not a penalty?
3: And The media talked um, all that, didn't they? Them, yeah. They're...
2: But their tactics were essentially to go down any time our player breathed near them and roll around for five minutes in a way that showed they weren't in any way injured at all. Because when you're injured, you lie still because you're actually injured. And yeah, they were pretty cynical. And to be honest, we we deserved the draw in the end. And if you look at the overall game, I walked away happy that we drew, but disappointed in a way that we we collapsed so early on that cost us probably three points.
3: Oh, well, points. in this episode, we haven't we haven't got Andy on the ball much. He's he's hardly out of touch. So he's uh, he's he's now coming into his own. He's gonna he's gonna the brilliant dribble and shot. I think here, <laughs> uh, Andy. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of a moan actually about our about our first forty minute performance. Um, uh-huh. So I thought one of the major because, like you say, I, like Peter said, you now I don't think Marseille are particularly good, but they were better than we were. So that was a problem for us. But the the problem we had was we were so weak so weak on the ball. Like we 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 and certainly weak out of possession. We hard we hardly won a tackle at all in the first forty minutes. Um every single every single fifty-fifty was they were winning. We weren't holding on to it. We did look like we were overall by the occasion. It was almost like, you know, they, they weren't communicating with with each other on the pitch because of the noise, maybe, or they were a little bit rabbit in the headlights, which um I was very fearful. Obviously, once we'd gone two down, um, and particularly the you know the manner of the goals, they weren't they were just just bad defending. They were, they were like free goals. Um, so you're really, really fearful. And and, and you know, and I I was annoyed a bit, because there was a lot of uh, FFS going on uh our various WhatsApp groups. Um but more, I was, like, disappointed for them because, A, we're not that bad. And, B, I was gutted for everybody out there. I thought, if you know, if everybody's gone through all the experiences we've been reading about during the day just to watch us get absolutely thumped would have been very dispiriting. So I just felt bad for everybody out there as well. But then the, we had that many revival. And I, just thought, and I thought, like, oh, we get one back in this game, we're back in it. Because I, I think they'll crumble. Then they started rolling around. But Lampty's tackle was the turning point. Because we won a tackle. It was a physical. They did not like it. We'd left. We'd left them untouched for like forty for fifty minutes. Tarek goes in on this bloke, and he just cannot handle it. So got a bit of a scratch. But it was a good tackle. He got the ball. Went through his ankle a little bit. But you know, wasn't that you know? He was. He was all right the rest of the game. He moved around. He moved around well enough. But I thought that you know, that tackle was absolutely crucial. And I'll just roll back on myself to the other crucial point, which hasn't really been spoken about post game too much. But when Steele saved, I think it was um is it Hattie the the guy that who's on the end of the um Aritz, that's it, the guy who was on the end of the Lamps Challenge. Steel's save from his thunderbolt shot was extraordinary because he absolutely thumped that. He basically saved it like full arm, so it's full arm strength, not bending to make sure that ball goes over. Um, kept us in it because it would have been three nil, and then it would have been it would have been done. Um, and obviously, Dunkey got back in the credit column later with a, a magnificent block. But I do think that steel that steal save and that Lamptey t- challenge. Because I, th- I think after the Lampty challenge, I think we just went up and I think we might have scored almost straight after that, actually. And then it's like set up the move up and it was just like, yeah, OK, now we've got them. And then, as Peter said, they start rolling around every single time. The referee who I thought was OK up until that point was just suddenly buying every single puff of wind that was uh, bringing, bringing the Marseille players down. And, uh, but I was really pleased that we finally looked like we were in the game because we did not look in it in the first forty minutes, but in in the, but you yeah, know, but in the second half, I thought, oh, we've actually we're we're in it now. We we look like we belong in this game, yeah. And I, I thought I thought it was tremendous character after what has been, you know, quite a tough run of games in terms of, like we've been playing some good teams, but also like we've not been playing that well and. Some, doubts must have been gnawing at them a little bit
3: yeah because I mean um, you've got the, you've got the Villa game and you've got we started basically we started the same way as we did with the Villa yeah. game didn't we? So what,
1: the, 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 the character you know it wasn't about the quality of, of our football which was you know mediocre at best I thought on on Thursday but the spirit the character the mental they got themselves back in the game they reminded themselves that we could we could do this because I think they Genuinely forgotten that they that they could at the beginning of that game.
3: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, yeah, we, there was there was a, a big mental strength being shown there, wasn't there? As you said, the village match that had gone before. The same pattern seeming to repeat, and obviously we had it with Bournemouth as well, and we had it with the with the Athens game. Um, that starting badly, conceding goals, having to chase games, and sometimes we, ca- we obviously Bournemouth we came back to win that match, but other games the best we've done is maybe got back on terms as we did a couple of times in the Athens match, and still ended up losing. So there must have been a psychological edge to that, and thinking oh we've got to work so hard just to get back to two all, and having missed those chances at the beginning of the at the end of the first half as well. Um, and I know Simon you want to come in on this but I've got to ask you something on, on that as well Simon about the um, the possible offside the, Dan, the um Danny Welbeck chance Um, he's he's four yards off Fatty Welbeck's facing away and may not be aware of that ball comes over the top and obviously Welbeck opts to shoot and he didn't. Qu- it wasn't quite the same chance that Joao missed against Athens where he could have got his hat trick putting it in the corner and he definitely could have got it wider there was less room to play with but he still could have got it wider Probably, definitely the better option from a scoring point of view is to square it, because uh, Fatty was then onside. Whether it would have been deemed as second phase was the issue, wasn't it? And we discussed this on WhatsApp, so I don't know if you've got a view on that, but also whatever point you're about to come in on anyway uh, to do with the game.
4: Yeah, uh, the the second phase, I off offside bit, I must admit, i, I... I'm not sure myself. It feels like it changes so often. I can't remember what the latest interpretation of that is. But I know certainly in the stadium, um, seeing you guys on WhatsApp saying you know square it, square it, square it, you, you could see how far offside Fatty was. Whether it would have flag like, would have gone up if the ball then been passed to him or not, I, I don't know. Um, I think I'll just quickly say it definitely wasn't
2: offside because it's a new it's not even a phase. It's just a it's not he's not offside from when the ball's played to him. So it definitely wouldn't. I think it definitely counts if Fatty goes.
3: Stuff. Yeah, because the ball um, was quite clearly being played to, to Danny Welbeck, fattest yeah. incidental back. He's not interfering with right.
2: that at that point. No. So when the ball comes to him,
4: he's, up, he's back on side, he's behind Welbeck,
3: yeah. so it's, it's fine. Absolutely understanding. Understanding.
4: I, I guess, obviously, he should have passed. Um, yeah. I guess in his defence, one, it was the loudest stadium I've been in in my life. Um, I guess he's <laughs> getting the ball under control, looking out, oh, he's well, very high-level footballer, maybe he should be able to do that. But... Um, also, you expect the strikers to be, want to shoot in front of goal, probably. Um, but, yeah, obviously, should have passed, should have been a goal. Yeah. Like uh, at least at that stage of the game, at the end of the half, it's only like you're thinking, OK, we're starting to create some chances now. And these look look pretty ordinary. And I think it it's certainly in the away end at half time you're thinking we can get back into this. This isn't. Done because you know we score goals. This is the weird thing about being at the moment that you know we concede, we're always going to concede, but we're going to score as well. Um, so it didn't feel like the game was, was, was done at that point. Um, I, w- I was going to sort of jump in, I was going to agree with Andy, I think, about the um, essentially the lack of bite in the team in terms of trying to w- winning the ball back in the first half. That was so obvious, and I think it's there's sort of two themes emerging from this first group of games at the start of the season I think one of them is going to take a while to resolve but we've obviously lost losing Kaysado and McAllister I think we've lost that bite in midfield who you can you always I think there were times last season when you see sort of fly flying with this challenge and win the ball back that you think he's got no right to win and it almost inspired the whole team to like
1: yeah. you know
4: lift everyone to then go and win the ball back and a bit like we met, I think. It was Andy mentioned the the Lamptey challenge. That was almost that moment. You needed you know, before that they were flying in on challenges and I don't know if you if it was on T V or not, but like it was like high five them and stuff for like for their challenges they were flying in on. we needed to get to get back to that. And I think obviously I won't we won't talk about um Sunday too much right now, but you know, there were promising signs from Believers Start in terms of what he might be able to offer to us. And um I would imagine in January that might be some potentially something we look to to improve on, but I don't know. It's tricky, but you know, with our with our transfers, we don't tend to look for a short term fix necessarily, and we might have to look for different solutions to the what the player, you know, the problems we've got now. Um, Hmm. And that was just going to bring me on to sort of it was. I didn't think we were too bad, right? I can't remember how many minutes. I haven't had a chance to watch the game back since getting back yet, but felt like we had a reasonable amount of sort of possession of the ball at the back at the start of the game, we felt fairly comfortable. And they were doing what everyone's doing now, which is in terms of the, the press to stop us playing through the middle. And that's obviously the new theme and the new problem that the Zerbys got to try and work out the solutions for is how we play through everyone sort of blocking off our, our passing with our sort of double pivot. Um and at least in the ground you could see so much space in the wide Areas and you certainly think with someone like less development so because he's not as quick, but certainly for someone like Lampsy you think if we can get the ball wide out to him quickly with a, a good pass that you can control easily because obviously people are going to close down quick. But then a quick sort of one-two, you know, someone like Matoma or March or something, we can. There's so much space to get in behind down the flanks. They're putting so many people central to stop us passing out that way. Um, it was frustrating that we weren't making more of that. In the in the first half, um, obviously, in the end, it's worked out because you know lampton needs to be very involved in both our goals coming back into it. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting, and you know the next sequence of games. Really, I think everyone's going to be start pressing their defensive sort of shape against us now. It's going to be quite similar, and um, it's going to be uh, a challenge to work out how we how we get around that. Hmm.
3: Yeah, Peter.
2: So I agree with all of that. And I think part of the problem is we've until, except for Baleba, who obviously yesterday was so good. We have a lot of midfielders who need someone like Casado to play alongside them to to be at their best. It's notable to who hasn't done much so far. And I think probably he needs someone defensive alongside him. Similarly, Gilmore, similarly, Grosh. And yeah, it's, it, it is an issue that they hopefully, but with yesterday's game showed the other side of your, if what you're saying about the, the central areas, I completely agree with, and I think Adingra yesterday showed what you can do down the flanks if you don't cut in. Because he, all our both our winners normally with March and Matoma cut in all the time, and they look to cut inside, and that's where and there is no space. That you're saying, Simon, I agree. But actually, Adingra took the fullback on outside and actually had a go at him, and two or three chances, including Pedro's one that he missed, came from going down the wing and actually cutting it back across. And yeah, if we we need to actually, I actually don't think having two inverted wings is the right idea. Maybe have one one more direct one and one who can, who's, who's sort of right footed or whatever, because it's otherwise you are literally just kind of having everything right in the centre. And if teams sit deep, it's you know, you're just going into the place where there's no room. And you either <laughs> need your, your wingers to go on their wrong foot sometimes, which Batoma and March don't tend to, or you need to play someone like a Dingra on the right who <laughs> is happy to run at players and go outside them, or even just swap the wingers sometimes during a game, get March and Batoma to swap sides. So sometimes they're playing on you know on the on the side where they can go around the back, and sometimes they're cutting in, and it's a bit more variation but, but what I was going to say was what I was going to say was I think the problem possibly we 're having at the moment is teams have not works out' a wrong word, but Deserbi has got very, very set style that he plays, and team it's, there's no surprises really it's kind of quite set out. Where I think we do have maybe one or two areas is people like Adingra and Pedro to me are really unpredictable sometimes to the point I'm not sure they fully know what they're going to do next anyway themselves. And that's, I think, something you actually need in a team like us, where you, you can't just play the two strikers, Ferguson and Welbeck to me. It doesn't work together. You need someone like Pedro behind them, who's going to, you know, cause chaos. He, I mean, he's really good on the ball and he can just like glide past players and teams can't deal with that sort of thing. And he, I really like the look of him. I know he missed the chance yesterday, but generally I think he's going to be a, even at 30 million, a really good signing. He's, yeah, he he has quality, and he if he can start hitting more on target from open play, then he's going to look be real quality
0: timing.
3: Yeah, definitely using that width is something. just to round off the the Marseille element of this uh, part one of the pod, um, when we did score, um, ironically it was Lampy on the left hand side, uh, took a throw, uh, received it back from Fatty, beat his man down the down the byline, um, cut inside, another guy laid it off for um, Mitama, who then. Again, cut it back, laid it further inside for, for Pascal Grosch. What an appropriate uh, score of our first away European goal. Um, who got us back into the game on the 54th minute of, of that match, um, which was fantastic. Um, sign of a, an improved second half, certainly. And um, then beyond there, of course, we uh, we got the second goal. And I'm keen to know the, uh, the reaction. I think I can guess what the reaction was to that second goal. Must have been absolute limbs in the away end. I'm, I'm assuming, uh, when we, uh, we scored the penalty, of course. Um, the again involved again create, starting the creation of the goal by winning the penalty. It was a penalty, as we mentioned earlier. Definitely no debate about that outside of biased French media uh, or Marseille media. Um, and uh, we've got the the pen, and it's our manager, Al Pedro, who scored five pens already at this stage, uh, three of them in competitive action, I think it is. Um, he's there on the spot. Lots of shithousery going on. They tried to delay it for ages. I don't know if you guys have, uh, Simon, you say you haven't seen it back, so you may not be aware, the goalkeeper was kicking up the spot as well. Um, I really think we should just stand, firm grip on, grip on the ball, get a circle of Albion players around, and block both the player, the ball, and the spot from interference until everyone's gone away. <laughs> that's what we should do with any penalties. I think that will, that will counteract that kind of shit housery. But anyway, yeah. What he
2: did actually do, I thought, was it was good that like McAllister used to do is take his time. It was like yeah. that United penalty where McAllister took forever to take yeah. it after it, it was, everyone was cleared. And, and Pedro took about 20, 25 seconds, I think it must yeah. have been to take it after it was their penalty area was cleared. And that's good because it means you get away from all the kind of crap that was going on and all the stuff.
3: Yeah, he sort of, I was looking at it now, actually, just looking back and he was kind of like, yes, all sorts of people surrounding him, but he was ultimately, he was mainly sort of standing away, not facing the goal and just holding onto the ball and just, as you said, just taking his time, waiting for this, all this kind of circus to run. Everybody out. should have
2: booked at least two of their players for all the stuff yeah, around the
3: penalty. 100%. Yeah. Uh, but still, regardless of that, and no matter how consciously you're trying to take your time, you've still got to have nerves of steel to put it in the net. Again, he's done his typical low kick. Again, he's, uh, I mean, he's gone either side at various points, but again, he sent the goalie the wrong way. Goldie went left uh, to the goalie's left and the ball went uh, to Joao's left. So uh, sent him the wrong way. And um, and then he's doing his uh, fingers in ears celebration, winding up the fans. I think, oh, okay, what?
4: <laughs> There's no way I don't think the sounds in the stadium at that point could have come through on TV because it was painful. It hurt your ears. It was it was yeah. so loud. It was ridiculous. I've never heard a stadium that loud, um, and it was brilliant from that loud noise just to their silence and us going crazy. It was an unbelievable moment. Yeah, at any time all night they were quiet, wasn't it? it was
3: like. Yeah yeah i mean that's quite a brilliant effect in itself isn't it that sudden silence is is, in its own right is another incredible experience i've not had yet because i wasn't at the game and um i can only imagine what that's like it's it's bad enough when um you know in england when there's a big game but that that must be off the scale um but anyway cool head scores um lewis dunk we we didn't see what happened at the time but the next picture shows him crouching down on all fours um my first thought was hit by a missile because it was he was involved in the celebration happily uh, just after the, the goal and then um, we don't see what happens but the fact that Joel Pedro had been doing his uh, baiting gesture <laughs> to their fans you assume it was then a missile thrown um, but apparently it was uh, he just uh, fainted and I, I think in the last couple of games a lot of players haven't looked at their best and it might be to do with rotation and disruption. It might be to do with fatigue. They might be carrying injuries. But I'm wondering if there was flu in the camp because there's been a lot of illness going around. And I must admit, at the Villa game. I thought Ferguson, Dunk, and Esteban all looked like they're more like they were jaded from illness than anything else. We know yeah, Ferguson property. did
2: against Bournemouth as well. Yeah, he looked, he looked under par and came off at half time. I know Purvis I obviously,
3: he'd... we now know, is injured. That, that was what that yeah. was. But um... even
2: yesterday, I didn't think Ferguson looked that sharp. He didn't no. look. You compare him to the Newcastle game, I didn't think he looked as sharp, anywhere near as sharp as he's done...
3: Yeah, he's on top. Dunk form. as well. You know, again, he's making mistakes. Ironically, he gets his other England call up when Southgate was at Villa Park to see a, a, a bad mistake and a bad performance. And then he was, you know, he made the mistake against Marseille and he made at least one mistake in the Liverpool game as well, which we'll get on to talk yeah, about. Yeah, although,
2: although he made up for it in both games, right, with the tackle at Marseille and the goal yeah. yesterday. So
3: that block tackle was brilliant in Marseille, wasn't it? But was amazing, amazing. I
2: rarely see a better tackle that I'd given up on that, to be honest.
3: Yeah, key moments, as we said, as well. Um, Really, really vital. And, you know, Captain Marvel, isn't he, really, as as we know. And um, it's great that he's finally... Of course, he he was making his European debut, having missed the Athens game as well, uh, Dunkey, wasn't he? So um, that was a great day for him. A bit bit different to
2: when he made his debut at Milton Keynes.
3: Yes, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it's not not the best day, that one. Um, We've got to probably have a break in a second, but I know Alan wants to come in as well. So should we give you the final word before we have our halftime oranges? And he's on mute again. Oh, no. He's on on the hat trick now. (laughs) Go on, go on, Alan. There we go.
5: There we go, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, no, I was really just wanted to, I mean, agree with everything Ed, what he said. I mean, I think just to, I think we made them look better than they really were at the the start. I I made a, a mistake on WhatsApp, I think, where I said, that they look like the best Premier League side we've played for some time, but I think, uh, as it turned out, really we just look, made them look that way. But I think just to, just to really finish off, I think, I mean, do you think really we came of age really or found our place in European football at the, in that second half? And I think that's that's really, yeah, we we we've arrived in yeah. European football. I think and I so. Think that's going to hold us in really good stead moving forward.
3: Yeah, that's that's the way I thought it was, and. I think obviously the, the, the tangible, the physical of the actual equaliser has kept us in the tournament. I think we're two. I know you're not physically out of it if you lose your first two games, but it's a hell of an uphill struggle as many United fans will be thinking at the moment from their Champions League group. Um, the fact we drew, I mean, it's mainly stopping two points, extra points going the other way to another team. Um, but But also getting off the mark point-wise, a psychological thing coming back to do that psychological thing. And yeah, I I agree. I think we've we've landed in the competition. Whether we'll go through or not, we still don't know. But we are properly in there. It's in our hands, I think, now we've we've got two two games in the the Ajax uh against Ajax where I think it's obviously going to be a, a significant part of this group now, particularly that home game, because uh if we can get our first win, we're right in amongst it. Points will be dropped. In, in other face-off games as well. So uh, we would we would have a degree of control over our destiny, wouldn't we, if we can win that game in, against Ajax at the Amex. Uh, Peter, yeah?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that, that that goal was crucial. Getting a point, yeah. We, we don't we, we don't get anything from the game with four points adrift, yeah, and of Marseille and of Athens. And, you know, it's a long way back from there. You've probably got to win three of your last four, potentially more, Yeah, probably at least three probably. And yeah, suddenly it's two, two defeats out of two in tight games in the end. Yeah. Um, but the point, yeah, we're within touch and distance of all three teams. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I home. We probably need to win our last two home game, our two home games now, I and Marseille and then get something from at least one of the away games to qualify as the top two, probably a bit less to get third place, but. Yeah, eight eight points with a few draws already. Eight points may well be, yeah. you know, enough to get top two.
3: I mean, all the other results have helped us, haven't they? Basically, draws is the best scenario at this stage. Yeah, knowing who might end up going on a streak towards the end of the uh, the, the round of fixtures. So um, everyone dropping points is the best case scenario for us there. Okay, well, it's been an epic first half, um, suitable for an epic occasion. Of course, a lot, <laughs> lot
2: of VAR rulings and injuries. So it's been a lot of injury time. <laughs> yeah.
3: Part two, when we come back, um, will be a review of the Liverpool game where we've got another two-all draw, another entertaining game against uh, our scouts' friends uh, from up the road, quite a long way up the road. Um, so we'll be talking about that in part two. OK, so it's to part two then, um, and it's time to review the other 2-2 game from the last week, Uh, The Liverpool match, which, of course, was on Sunday due to our European involvement. Uh, Two o'clock kickoff live on Sky. Um, As I said earlier, they they had Veltman at left-back, but he definitely wasn't playing there. But we had an interesting scenario, which was that we put Solly March back in the left-back role, which he hasn't done for a while. This due to Lamptey carrying a bit of an injury, we understand, and we're having to manage that a bit. Of course, this was Sod's law. It had to happen, didn't it? Estepeñan gets injured. Lamptey can't cope with the schedule because Estepeñan's injury was a little earlier in the season than we would have liked, I guess for that uh, situation to ride out. So um, March had to cover there. Veltman was at the right side. And then, of course, we had Igor starting again as well. As further rotations occurred, um, apparently we're now up to 30 changes to starting lineups this season, 10 more than the next nearest club. Um, That was one mark uh, for this season. Another one, by the way, was that um, following this, this game, we've now... Uh, scored in 24 consecutive games in the Premier League, extending the longest current run of any team in the the Prem at the moment. And we've also now conceded in 12 uh, (laughs) Premier League games in a row, which is not so great, but it is very deserving, isn't it? Um, But having drawn no games at all, as I said, we've now had two two, two draws in a row. Um, The game itself, I thought, very good atmosphere, In Well, I think justified anticipation of yet another good game. We tend to have really good matches with Liverpool, don't we? Uh, Really entertaining games, lots of goals, always typically uh, between the sides. And the occasion was also Jurgen Klopp's eighth anniversary at Liverpool. Um, And it's bringing six major trophies and 62% win rate to town with him. not quite so good a win rate now after the draw, um, but it was also uh, Roberto's fiftieth game as Albion manager or head coach. Uh, twenty four wins, eight draws, and seventeen <laughs> defeats tells you all you need to know about our lack of draws in Deserbi world. Um, and he scored, ex- or his teams have scored exactly hundred goals at the time of kickoff. Um, I should also mention my uh, Roberto Deserbi Moretti beer t shirt uh, has now seen twenty two goals from. Albion and their opponents in five games Um, basically it's the home matches I've worn them for um, because I've got a new away top I wear to the away games so um, that's all the background bits Um, who wants to start on this one I mean um, first of I mean yeah Peter do you want to go first
2: I was gonna say I think while I was critical of Albion at Marseille and I thought we'd started poorly Saturday and Sunday was a completely complete turnaround same result, obviously, in the end. But barring five minutes before half time, and a little spell in the second half where we lost our way a bit, I thought we were excellent. I thought we played really well. We had a much better balance to us. But Labour brought a really good balance. I thought Adingra looked really dangerous. Pedro behind Ferguson worked quite well, despite Ferguson not really hitting hundred percent form. And I thought Igor played well alongside Dunkey as well. So I, I actually thought it was a really encouraging performance and one that. It's sort it of the sort of team with maybe one or two changes, like opinion in for March, and maybe March moving forward. But the sort of team we could well see against the bigger clubs, than maybe in Europe, the rest of the season, that actually looked really promising. And I, I actually thought in the end, probably two-two was just about right. But if anyone deserved to, to just about win it, we probably did. Mm-hmm. Although in a slightly higher XG, I thought we had yeah we were brilliant for the first 40 minutes, and it was just so frustrating to give away two such poor goals. From nothing, really. I mean, from no pressure, really. It wasn't much on.
3: you, well, so did they. Um, <laughs> hmm? So did they for our goal. Our yeah, game. that's
2: true. But yeah, it, it's just it's just annoying than that. But we were in complete control of the game at that point. We, if anyone was going to score another goal, it was us. And mm. yeah, we let them back in it. But to come back then again, second half after a tough, you know, they obviously had quite a relatively winnable game against USG at home, whereas we had a, a tough trip to Marseille and. Yeah, to come back, show real character again, and it was. Uh, I, th- I was really impressed, and I thought the balance of the team was really
3: good. Hmm. Andy, you wanted to come in on that? Didn't
1: you? Yeah, I just felt um, on Sunday, much to my great surprise, I just I thought I was watching Brighton over Albion again. <laughs> um, the team yeah. that got the team that got off to such a brilliant start this season, and has got us all excited, got us all raising our expectations. Now we want them to be even better than. Than you know than we would have wanted beforehand. Um, we just came out swaggering confidence. I was not confident going into the game. I personally, my pre-match prediction would have been a three-one defeat. Um, but even though I watched the, the Liverpool USG game on on Thursday, Liverpool weren't actually that good. I only got two goals on the break from attacks that USG should have scored from. Sound familiar? <laughs> but um, <laughs> something which made me think that's how they're going to score on Sunday. But we just we just got back into our stride. And I think was, you made an important point before the break about oh yeah, and, you know, and it was was this the was that second half performance against Marseille where we finally graduated a little bit into that realm? Like we we come out of you know we've made that step out of the team just trying to stay up and now trying to compete in Europe and in hostile environments and like. I think a little bit of the belief had, come, had gone out of the team since, since basically since we beat United, and um, and we we refound it. I don't think it's any coincidence that labor being in the in the centre and having a player with his skill set made everything a lot more comfortable for everybody else, both in front of him and behind him, um, and and. He was, he was clearly my man of the match, but I'm, you know, quite pleased to see that there were so many other candidates for the man of the match uh, um, title are being bandied about. But it was a really, really encouraging performance. It was a terrific game. I think mean, you know both teams thought they should have won. I mean, if we, I mean, you know, we did give them the goals, so there's no if about it. We did give, you know, so we put ourselves, we dug that hole for ourselves. Um, and luckily, Liverpool gave us the opportunity to <laughs> still be in the game with with uh, two pretty horrendous misses. And um, uh, yeah, and, and we did, and we did fight back in the end. And I, yeah, I think you know another five minutes we'd have we'd have won that game. But it was a really it was a really entertaining game. I just thought it was two good teams that actually played pretty well for the most part, apart from a couple of like hairbrain mis- hair mistakes from either, either side, letting the letting down the rest of their good work. But, you know, for a neutral, it must have been a cracking game. And I think, ugh, I hate to say it, but I think 2-2 was a fair result.
3: Yeah, I think it really was. Um, like the team could have snatched it. And yeah. as Peter said, maybe we might have slightly edged it. But I think 2-2 is about right, isn't it? An entertaining score draw between two teams that just wanted to play football. It's such a refreshing... Uh, change from some games we've seen recently, I have to say. Um, And um, I'll I'll come to Peter in a second. I was going to say one thing early in the game which I really liked was the fact that we look like we've been thinking about uh, set pieces a bit. Um, João Pedro, I I mean, there was a few during the game, but the first corner, in the first five minutes, we had a flurry of three corners, the first of which um, was a short one. João made a sudden run and the player went with him and then he sort of folded back slightly and then just in the last second ran back in front of him to receive a short pass corner, which he flicked to Solly for his double shot, which then led to Dunk not quite getting to it and it going wide for another corner. And then... Subsequently, again, this was Pascal taking the, the corners um, two much deeper uh, corners than he normally does, which is uh, hit the first defender. <laughs> this time, to curve to the back post. Clearly, there was something going on with the plan to then head it up across goal. And we created some dangers there, which uh, was nice to see. I, I was really pleased with that. Um, Peter?
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i agree and we yeah for, we did look dangerous obviously did score from a set piece in the end as well which is yeah. pretty much unheard of um what i was going to say was yeah it's in a way liverpool teams at liverpool are easy for us in a way we need to the question is how we then, once we played City, how we then faced Fulham, who obviously we we had all the possession, all the chances, everything against last season, and they nicked it late on. How do we do against Sheffield United, who are going to sit deep? How do we do against Everton, even away, who probably will sit deep as well against us? You know, that's where we're going to... We all know we can play against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a really good result, and they're a good team, but we all know we can play against teams like that. And the big thing that Deserve's going to... You know, and how could define our season... Is how we play against teams who just want to sit and don't want to, you know, don't want to leave the six yard, you know. Six. And I thought there was some interesting stuff yesterday. Gross, for example, dropping very, very deep to pick the ball up on the edge of the area. Given he's our best, probably our best passer in the team, it was interesting. I wonder if that's a way they're going to try and, you know, kind of if teams don't press, we've got a player who's our best passer, arguably, coming picking the ball up very deep and playing it, you know, long over the top for our wingers to go on to or something. Like you know, it's, it, they're trying, hopefully, to try new things to work through these teams, but it is very tough when teams sit 10 on the edge of the area, basically, um,
5: and defend.
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, Alan? <clears throat>
5: yeah, I was, I, before the match, I was a little bit concerned. I think I said to you, Russ, that I was a little bit concerned with, uh, with Zerbi, actually, because he was kind of coming out with this kind of negative vibes. He was kind yeah. of starting to talk about too many games and players fatigued and it was the the same old tropes that you kind of get from some of the top managers when they're complaining about too many games and uh, I was a little bit worried that this was kind of coming in and whether it was affecting him the fact that you know he had little time to prepare the side for each game but uh, I was I mean obviously the the performance was really, really good. I was really pleased, as 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 Andrew said, it's uh, it was back to back to the album that we yeah.
3: I was a really fluid season. midfield. I thought as well. I think we we looked a lot better in midfield. I thought you mentioned Grosh and what he was doing, but yeah. also I noticed Pedro was dropping back quite a bit on some occasions as well, and almost overlapping with Grosh. Grosch was further forward. Pedro was receiving from deep, uh from defence into deep midfield as well on a couple of occasions. Yeah. So I think there was that a bit more. Well, rotation with the squad obviously was one thing, but rotation yeah. on the pitch as well, which I thought was good. It was working well and keeping them guessing. And obviously, yeah, exactly. the fact that March was starting at left back, they probably didn't know how we were going to set up when they got the team sheet in in the first place as well, which yeah. must have helped. Um,
5: it was yeah. interesting that it was interesting that um, you know Matomo usually had about four players <laughs> around him whenever he had the ball uh, in the final third, uh, and. We obviously found a way of wriggling through those on occasions in the second half. I think uh, Klopp actually pointed this out that he, we were giving it would, they were giving away quite a few free kicks because we were, we were actually kind of getting through through that kind of four four-man uh, defensive shield around Mitoma. Yeah, but I think uh, what I thought was quite funny was that you know I can imagine that John Robertson last year was probably taking a piss out of. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold because he he was got he got roasted quite a few times in the time, oh, right? Andrew That's Robinson. Awesome. Andrew Robinson. Yeah, not John Robinson. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew Robinson. Yeah, and uh it's yeah, thinking... <laughs> so he, yeah, yeah, he was taking a piss out of um, TAA for last season for getting roasted by Mitoma, and then all of a sudden this year, <laughs> this season, this uh, this game, he was facing uh, Adingra, which he probably wasn't expecting. Yeah, and uh, he he really got uh, he had a hard time against him. I think.
3: Yeah. I think so, and Adingra played really well. I thought, um, Peter.
5: Yeah, so the the big
2: thing for me this game was the fact that some of the new signings or players who were actually new to us in effect, like Adingra, really started to have an impact because it had been a lot of the we'd had a lot of the team from last season minus some really important players. But you know, I thought, and I know there were some comments online, but I thought for Brogan. Probably shouldn't have passed where he did for the second goal for the penalty, but generally looked really good. There was a brilliant claim in the second half when we were under a bit of pressure, which I'm not sure Steele would have got to because his, his height got there and he's, I think he's starting to settle. Igor, I thought, yeah, really good game. He's only, play, he hasn't played alongside Dunk yet and I thought he looked better for it, even if Dunkie had a bit of a up and down one. I thought Dingra was superb, looked really dangerous, belabour. And um, yeah, Pedro. So it's five new signings playing, or or a player who hadn't played before this season in Dinger's case, and they all contributed in one way or another. And that's a good sign. Because before that, I'd have said our signings weren't really, you know, doing that well, except for maybe Pedro hadn't. Re- no one else had really done done much. So hopefully, to sign our signings are starting to integrate because the Derby system is quite demanding and doesn't it isn't that easy probably to come into. But yeah, it's a, it's a good sign because we've obviously lost some key players from last season, and if um you know, we can actually you know, start bringing in some of the replacements coming more often, then that will be a really good, good sign, good position we're in.
3: Yeah, I, I might bring Simon in on this as well now. Um, in terms of Solly March, I mean, he did start at left-back. He's kind of played not really that role. He's played left-wing-back before, hasn't he? So it's a little bit different, although he was still getting forward. I thought he did pretty well. I mean, the, there's a great move in the 16th minute where he um he made a great tackle to win the ball back and then got back to his feet, nicked the loose ball away uh, to Kauru. um. Solly then got clocked by um, Diaz, but um, the ref wave play on and mittimer went on a run and eventually McAllister, who gave away quite a few free kicks in this game, I thought he actually played quite well, uh, ironically, but gave away a few. He seemed to be the guy that had to keep conceding free kicks and he conceded one for Mittimer at that particular moment. Um, and um, I think, the, uh, yeah, he, in terms of um, March anyway, how did you think he did in that role and, and how did you think we did in general in the game?
4: Did well. I like him there. He gives us, uh, and if the is not available, gives us sort of a, a left back option who's naturally quite happy getting high up the pitch. Which um, you know, when we've used someone like Gross or if we were to use Milner in the future, they're obviously not going to be racing too far forward. They'll probably be tucking in more. Um, I think it's been mentioned that Igor might potentially be able to play left back. Maybe it'll be like Dan Byrne. I've never seen him play there, but in my head, he'd probably be more of like a centre-back playing out wide. So um, I could potentially see him, seeing him being used there more often than Deserby would have anticipated using him there before this game now, especially with Purvis being out and with our options higher up the pitch. Um, mm. we, we I think it was um, Peter earlier on mentioned that about having sort of a, a wide player in a Dingra who could go wide instead of cutting in. And, you know, that has been something different and nice. Um, so, and, you know, Dingra has been playing, playing well, I think. So seeing him on the right, perhaps, um, then means, well, what do you do with Solly? And if there's a, if the choice is Solly at left back or say Gross or Milner or someone like that at left back, then you could see Solly potentially getting the nods now while purpose is out. Mm -hmm. Um, other than that, I thought Eagle was, was really good. It was really nice to see him. I'm a bit worried about him going down. I haven't seen anything yet. I don't know if there's been any news about potential injuries, but hopefully it's nothing serious because that'd be a blow if it is. Um, and other than that, just repeating what everyone else has said, really. I think Belieber looks very, very exciting prospect. Um, still very young. So, you know, you have a bit of caution there, but you know, looks a fantastic player and another great bit of recruitment and I really like Joe Pedro sort of playing off the striker much more than you know that sort of Ferguson-Welbeck combination that hasn't really yeah so much better worked. much much better yeah so um yeah, yeah. nothing and, and from, equally uh, better
2: than Pedro and Fatty as well which because Pedro is not a striker he's, he, yeah. as shown by his finish yesterday <laughs> you know he's not a main striker either you need one of Ferguson and Welbeck with one of Pedro and Fassi in my mind, or nc there when he's
4: back. Yeah, Uh, What I love about a dinger of Pedro and Matoma is that they'll all run with the ball and cause problems, win free kicks, you know, attract players to them and open up space for the rest. You know, they're all players to to worry you, right? So, yeah, I like that. This this looks good. Um, Maybe a minor shout out for Joel Veltman as well. I think always seems to just... Play for me. He's all, all plays well week in week out, and um, actually, I meant to say it during the Marseille bit as well. But I thought he played well at Marseille, and I thought, you know, he's probably one of the few players who's really sort of experienced that kind of atmosphere from with his, with his time at Ajax and that sort of thing. And I think longer term in the future, when hopefully they're available, players like Milner will hopefully, you know, have that sort
3: of experience yeah. and
4: and really offer something to us in in the games we've got to come.
3: I really hope Velum gets to play against Ajax because um, we, we went to a training ground thing and we we had a little Q and A thing with him and he was saying how um, he doesn't really care who who we drew because obviously the draw hadn't taken place at this point. He said he didn't care who we got except obviously Ajax. He said would like to get them and obviously he's now, now got them. So I really hope he's able to play at least some part in each of the two games. Uh, that'll be great. But I agree with you. I think he's done. He's done well. He's gone under the radar with just a solid, a quietly solid performance, hasn't he? Sorry. Yeah, yeah.
4: Uh, the only other thing I wanted want to add is actually probably in the last few games is um, I'm having flashbacks to uh, Kaspar Ankergren when uh, he'd just stand on the ball and and wait <laughs> for someone to do something, and it was brilliant in the in the Gas era when he did that, and just you, it's just a battle of wheels waiting for them to finally break and close down. And, and he flop on the ball. <laughs> and I've been so disappointed that we've kind of just not waited for them to mentally crack and finally close down. I'll be interested in what the Zerbi thinks to fix. I think there was the last few games, and certainly there was one at Marseille when Steele was on the ball. He's just stood there and it just felt like an age of just waiting and waiting and
1: waiting. And no one would close him down. <laughs> And you I, was think, quite, I was waiting for him to get the paper out and it's was like yeah. you know, <laughs> look God, at the half time stats when you're ready lads join
3: yeah. in later <laughs> and the half time snack's <laughs> could have been brilliant couldn't they possession uh, Brighton and 33 passes in the whole half
4: and I totally get like our own fans frustration say so we're 1-0 down at home to Bournemouth and we're doing that but I tell you what away at somewhere like Marseille when it's 0-0 and you're probably happy of a point I, know, I suppose because Obi probably wouldn't say that at that point you know it's easy to say we're happy with a point after going two down, but with the crowds, they way they were, just to like, antagonise that crowd and that sort of thing, just stand and wait. And also, right, we want them to close us down because then that frees up the pass. And I feel like, actually, we just need to have, you know, Deserby he talks about the big balls. You know, stand there and wait for someone to close you down and then play the pass. I feel like we've been... Uh Casper would, wouldn't he? I swear he would.
3: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um uh, Adingra, you mentioned Adingra, he had a good game. I think possibly it's Balaba, apparently. I've been I've been searching online. Apparently it could be Balaba if it's pronounced in the French way. Uh, it's, I think it's French speaking Cameroon, isn't it? As well as obviously indigenous languages. And he's had part time in, uh, part of his time in France, obviously, as well. So I'm going to go with Ballard. But anyway, yeah, I thought he he was possible man of the match. His first start, wasn't it? As well. I think if I'm right, in saying. First uh, league start. He started at Chelsea,
2: didn't he? First oh, league yeah. start. You started at Chelsea. Star.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, for a 19 year old still finding his feet in a new country, in a new league with a new team. Um, I think at that age, he he was pretty commanding, not perfect, but he's not going to be at that stage yet. But he was not far off it. He was really and, good, and he's
2: also got that pressure as well of those boots to fill of Casado, which is a yeah, yeah. huge pressure to, to take it's, on in a situation where we hit. clearly need someone to come in yeah. and and be quite and get you know integrate quite quickly and be part of that team. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. as I said earlier, none of the other players really perform that role. We don't have anyone else who offers that support in front of the defense. So it's, you know, the pressure's on him and he, yeah, I thought he was excellent yesterday. He, he played superbly. He, he got stuck in, but he's also not afraid to carry it forward as well. And he had one where he basically, the, the whole thing opened up and he had a, you know, not a brilliant shot, but he got to the area and he wasn't afraid to shoot. And he, you know, he gets stuck in. He wins the ball in the air quite a lot as well. He's, he's quite quick. And you can see why at 19, we paid 20 odd million for him because he, he looks yeah. like a, a talent. And obviously, you know, Pesuma came out of France. Um, you know, kind of, yeah, so you've well, got a feel yeah. a. Some quite yeah. uh, quite decent players on that level. So, um, yeah. just on on Veltman as well, as Simon was saying, I think he would be was superb in both games. And he he always goes under the radar because he's so solid. Because no one really thinks he stands out that much, but he's always so solid. I still can't believe we paid nine hundred thousand for him. It's probably up there with Pascal Grosch and Bruno and players like that as the most incredible value for money purchase ever.
3: Yeah, oh and he's God. moving into minor legend status already. I'd say by his time with us and what he's done and the era where he's been playing in. I was going to say on the on the matter of Balebo, I was going to say Odingra, I think was the other candidate for man of the match. Obviously, <laughs> he had a shot, had the goal, had a good performance, and run run them ragged. But. um uh, on Balayba, a lot of people are saying, oh, he's more of than a Casado. But I, I don't really see a huge amount of difference between those two players anyway, to be honest. There are obviously some minor details, but I, I see him as a replacement for either because they, essentially they are performing the same role. Minor, minor characteristics aside, it's the same thing. And I, I feel like he's a bit of both if there is a comparison, and I could see him being maybe more of a star than both even. He could go on to be that good, given his age and how quickly he seems to be acclimatising to the English League, to our club, etc. He's got the potential to go even further. And, oh, could we just keep him for a few years? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? I know. Don't do
2: that. We've got Chelsea calling
5: currently already.
3: (laughs) Alan and Andy both wanted to jump in. I think, Alan, should we go with you first and then to Andy?
5: Yeah, I think Belieber is a little bit different. I mean, obviously, he's, he was putting the tackles in. He's a little bit, still a little bit inexperienced. But uh, I think his dynamism moving forward is very quick. I mean, when mm. he was driving, those driving runs he was making, obviously, he had that shot, uh, which was very good. Yeah. And you've got to remember, he was actually playing against Liverpool. We're not talking about a uh, lower side here. This is this is against Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was, obviously, with Ingra's goal, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was Although it wasn't similar in terms of the in, in the action the way the action came about, but Adinga's goal was similar to the goal he scored against Brentford in the, uh, in the US friendlies. I mean, basically he just takes the ball so early. I mean, his his mind yes. kind of working, and the goalkeeper just didn't have a time to set. I think I think maybe Edison was was quite further forward, and also he's probably thinking that Adinga at that point was going to pass the ball and maybe to Pedro or something like that. He wasn't expecting it. I mean, basically Adinga looked up, bang. Yeah. And it was in. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah.
3: And the other yeah. the other goal he scored he took early, didn't he? The Luton game. Um he scored in his debut. I think he was yeah. the one I'm thinking of. He he took that pretty early as well. So you're right, definitely does that. It's decisive. And it wasn't right in the corner. The goalkeeper could have got to it, but it just had enough on it because he took it so early. Um and um, I, I noticed the camera lingered on McAllister as if it was his mistake. I mean, he might have anticipated and got forward slightly more, but really, that was a, a Van error, Really, it shouldn't have been. That was the wrong pass, I think.
5: Yeah, but I, th- I think it actually worked against uh, Ensign because he was so far forward. he was closer to the ball. And I yeah. And the problem was when we when when you see see the ball, see the action from behind the goal in the replay, it, because of the way the 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 camera angle and the thing was that he's kind of and You felt as though he was actually closer to the ball or closer right. to the goal, but actually, I think the ball came to him so fast, so quickly because he was so far out. You know, he just—it was no way he
1: was going to get that ball. It was just got to him too quickly. So, mm. uh, yeah and Andy, yeah, I mean about Belaber, um I I think it's a really good example of um, how good Deserby is and the club in general are at bringing. Players along at the right speed. Because obviously, as fans, we're all impatient for people. You know, we sign someone for twenty million quid. We think, oh, they've got to go straight in the team and they've got to be brilliant um, from from the off. Or that, that just isn't how it works. Um, you know, he's a, he's a young player. He's not actually played that many games in France, but we bought him because we see the traits in him that that we think, well, yeah, he'll he'll come good. And Deserve has been quite deliberate about. How he's managed the player, and he's thinking, and he's put him in when he thinks he can be effective. He said, I gave him like, you know, half an hour here, an hour there, 40 minutes there. Been looking at him in training, and now is the right time to start because clearly we had quite a big hole in the midfield in the last, since the United game. Um, We've had a big hole in there, and, and so the timing was right to bring him in. I liked. In a, in a funny way, I think the way that he stood up to those Marseille fans in the dugout on Thursday on that little social media clip. Little things like that just think, you know what? He you know, he's up for it. He's yeah. up for it. And he's one of us. He's part of the team. And um not just the new kid. And um and I think I think Deserby deserves a lot of credit because I think people are impatient because I think, oh, we brought him in to replace Casado. Why isn't he in there? Like, Casado went on loan to a terrible team in Belgium for six months. He didn't come straight into the team and become a world beater. We took our time. We got him in, and when he did come in, he was more than ready. And Belay was coming a bit quicker. Yeah, but um, but that is but that is why these that's why these players get paid when they do, and then. And like a has come in, you know, again, he was, he was on loan for, he was on loan for a year at USG. That clearly benefited him. Um, Eagles, they, you know, they've eased him into the team, but he had his best performance until he sadly got injured on, on Sunday. And um, just, you know, they, they do know what they're doing with these players and they are going to be, they are going to be good players for us. They are going to be key players for us. But, you know it will it will happen organically it won't just happen like instantly yeah. and uh I, I i just thought he was fantastic i've i've enjoyed every performance that he's, that he's put in so far and i thought on sunday he was magnificent and um yeah i, I yeah and you're right I And mean, he's nowhere near finished that's the exciting thing yeah so just, we're just getting started with this guy
3: Exactly, he's ahead of schedule. You could say that
1: twenty million Despite... quid is going to look like an absolute bargain by the time. Oh, it really is a parasite. Yeah,
3: yeah. and that that chance that got mentioned. I mean, it's a long run he did as well. He ran the length of the pitch pretty much to before shooting with his weaker foot, and um, yeah, just pulled it wide. But that was good. And then just seven, I think it was seven minutes after the goal. And then um, around about that time, I think it was a game of three-thirds, wasn't it, really? Because just after the half-hour mark, I think we uh, a stat to come up on Sky saying um, 72% possession to the Albin in the last 10 minutes, just to give an idea. And then Matt gave away one of the free kicks he gave away, which Dunk seems to be in, in the in the mode of taking the free kicks at the moment, doesn't he? Because he took the one Marseille. And then the, this one, he, yeah, he's doing his sort of side foot thing, went straight into the wall and then unfortunately more or less in well indirectly that led to um the first goal because um the ball went here and there for a moment and then it went to dunk and donkey unfortunately overhit his ball forwards uh which went to mac <laughs> and uh he immediately started a sharp move forwards leading to a pretty intricate quick snappy set of passes that just undid us and uh you know then then it's one all out of nowhere and then of course um the mistake, as mentioned earlier, Bart passing the ball, an un- unwise pass to Pascal. Pascal was never going to be fully onto that. And then he, has, he was struggling with Slobislai, Jlo- pulled him down with his shirt. And there was another challenge, which I think would have been okay. But that first challenge was definitely a pen. Um, I thought it was at the time. There was a lot of shenanigans around the VAR, but it, ultimately they made the right decision. Salah gets his second goal. Uh, in. Uh, I think it was in uh, literally exactly two minutes, I think, uh, between the first and the second goal. And uh, suddenly we find ourselves probably a little bit against the run of play, behind at half time, a bit irritating. But then we started the second half well. Adingra has that shot after only four minutes of the second half. Um, Possibly, I I think actually wasn't the right choice shooting near post. He should have tried it for the far post there, and it was a bit too central. If you are going to the near post anyway, good save nonetheless, but one you'd expect the goalie to make. And um, then of course things went better for us. Really, Bart playing first-time ball to Grosch, um, which was hugely risky and very costly to us. That was that was pretty annoying. So to get to, to get back on terms um, with the... Well, it was later into the game, wasn't it? The 78th minute. Solly winning a free kick, which he had taken himself. Dunk drifts inside and beyond the hesitant defence and just basically shins it. The <laughs> inside of his shin, I think it was, uh, with his right leg from close range. Far too easy a goal to concede from a Liverpool point of view. But from an Albion point of view, satisfying to get Donkey on the on the score sheet. He scored against Liverpool before at both ends, unfortunately. But uh, um, more recently with his cheeky free kick, actually, I think that's maybe why he was so keen. Ran well,
2: the FA Cup last year as well, where he, he flicked, he scored, um, was it Lamptey hit the shot and he flicked it
3: yeah. in oh, yeah, the sure. area. Yeah. He didn't know much about it, but he. <laughs> yeah, that
1: was definitely his goal, though. Yeah, yeah. So but he's to, now scored more goals against Liverpool than for them now. So that's that must be a bit short for him.
3: His best <laughs> one was still the own goal though, wasn't it? I mean, you, you don't often get a chance to. Yeah, juggle. you're
1: never going to quite beat a juggling on your
2: own line own goal, if like... <laughs>
3: Um But we, in the meantime, before we got that equaliser, we we got away out of jail, haven't we? Batch in particular, 53rd minute, where he he's he's put it clean through. away well, it wait, it's a cross ball. And he it's got a bit of spin on it, which I think is what saved us um He tried to drill it into the into the roof and it just hit the frame of the well hit the crossbar and bounced out to safety. That was a very hot stopping moment, I have to say um in the meantime Joao had fed Fergie with a chance, which with very little room, a very small window of opportunity he had a good effort there to be honest, it went over, but it he had virtually no space to play with on that chance. Um, And then as the game opened out, we had a lot of stuff down the left side. Mito and João were linking up really well. Mito was really starting to get back into his flow, wasn't he, causing them problems. He won a free kick uh, and then um, uh, João won a free kick, um, which I think prompted the booking for Gomez the substitute uh lots lots of stuff going on around that that point um lots of pressure and it you said it could have gone either way but overall I think 2-2 is about a fair result any other thoughts on the game I mean Simon should we bring you back in what what did you make of the game overall in terms of how it panned out happy with that overall um you were there weren't you as well I presume at the match?
4: yeah yeah I was there I still uh had a bit of a Marseille Sorry. hangover. d <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't even mean the alcohol, just all the, the travelling and everything. I was absolutely knackered. But um it it I think I feel like I'm a bit repetitive and stuff I say, but we always I always feel we can score a goal. And yeah. it was just one of those games where either team could score. Um the chances both ends, um, and it's just I'd never feel like we're we're out of a game at the moment. Yeah. So it's great, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, you, you never know how it's going to end. We could have ended up losing 3-1, 4-1, one, one, but we did get back into it. We could have won it, could have lost it. Um, and you can't really grumble with a draw at home against Liverpool after the Thursday night in Marseille. So I think we we take it. I think the international breaks come at a nice time for us with um, in terms of fatigue um, and people, yeah. players starting to drop down with injuries and that sort of thing. So, um nice little reset time and you look at the league table as we go into the international break and you think happy days um and I don't know (laughs) it's not really what you asked but I'm just after that experience on Thursday I'm thinking I want I want more more Europe like you know at first I was just happy to be there like you are when you get to the Premier League you're just happy to be there right and you just want to stay there and um now I, I want to see us in Europe next season as well I mean I know we're not out of it yet but I just want more and more of that that experience, so um, it's nice yeah. looking at the league table and thinking there will hopefully be more European spots available in the, this season as well. And thinking, well, if we can get in that top eight and, and go again or win Europa, you never know. Um, some more of that, please.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah I, I agree, and I think it's really encouraging, especially given the fixtures we've had as well. Because we've we played four of the top seven from last season in Villa, Newcastle. City and Liverpool and United, sorry, and obviously with City to come next. And we've also played West Ham, who I'd say probably are going to be one of the better ones as well after a, a poor season last season. So we've played five of probably the top half teams yeah. in, this, in, in this division this season. We've got City next as well. And then we've on paper got the run of games that are more winnable, but we all know what Al- <laughs> how Albion Al- are like and how we do maybe in that run of Sh- Fulham, Sheffield United, Everton, Forrest, I think it is after the next international break as well. You know, that's going to decide how high up we are at the end of the season, how we do against teams when they sit back and they defend. And I actually think, looking at the fixture that's coming up, the best thing we could have done this season is get knocked out by Chelsea. That week off between, um, between Fulham and Everton could be a really big thing. It gives us, you know, we've got three games in, what, nine days or whatever. But then we've got a break after that of like six days, whatever it is. And then we got three more games. And so we've got, having that one fewer game in that next set of games is going to be huge. We've got that, that bit of a gap to re, you know, to, to, you know, kind of, especially with a few players out injured, we can like, you know, kind of players a bit knackered. We could have a, you know, six days off and that will be huge.
3: Yeah, but Kevin Day on the Price of Football podcast has been going on and on about our easy start to the season with the very first fixtures that we had. Wolves being obviously perceived as being weaker than they've turned out to be. But, um, you know, looking at the Luton game and then the other stuff, and I was thinking, ironically, you know, they're, they're our easy games are the tough games. They're the the Man United, to the Liverpools, the Newcastles, they're the ones we actually prefer playing and getting relatively better results from as well um so I don't, I don't know what he thought he was talking about there but yeah it's kind of weird isn't it because we've got technically the easier games coming up after city but we all we all know those are the ones we struggle with more can we crack the code can we start to get a greater proportion of points from those tricky games against the forests of this world first
2: know. game goal is so crucial in all those games I think pretty much, well, obviously yeah. the draw is different, but only Bournemouth has gone against the team who scored the first goal for us yeah. this season, yeah. um, which is why coming back from two down at Marseille and two one down yesterday was so good, because we don't tend to come come yeah. back when we go behind in games and vice versa, we tend to hold leads. Although, again, yesterday we didn't. But, um yeah, I, first goal in those games will be huge because if, if teams have to come out at us on that sort of level, then we will cause them huge problems. But if they can just sit deeper and hold on to a one-goal lead, we're we're in trouble because we don't deal well with that at the moment.
3: Yeah, indeed. Um and just to wrap things up on that I mean one one other thing for the game I loved was the we want our repay, replay chart, which I thought was hilarious in the obviously in the aftermath of everyone at Liverpool um being pretty miffed, quite understandably so, about that incident at Tottenham the previous week. Um, But that was quite funny. That was quite loud as well and sung a few times, which I'm sure the Liverpool fans will see the funny side. Um, They're a good bunch, to be honest. Uh, All in all, all, there's lots of positive feedback from our interactions with them again. Um, Alan, do you want a final word on the Liverpool game?
5: Yeah, there's a couple of controversial issues. I mean, obviously, we had that kind of uh, handball, which wasn't. Oh, yes. Which, uh, the crowd the crowd were really incensed about that. Uh, Andy undeserving. I mean, <laughs> Andy Zerby. He looked at you know, the iPad, didn't he? he
3: and then him, um, yeah,
5: he fired him, him up. Even. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think um, Demo Gallagher felt it wasn't a penalty. Hmm. Uh, and obviously, Taylor felt it, it hit his thigh first. I mean, his hand was quite well out, though, I thought. And yeah. In fact, if, if the trajectory of that ball, if, it, if he hadn't touched his hand, it would have probably made it made it to uh, gel Pedro, I think. It was uh, further, further alongside. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. I think it's a, it's a little bit, uh, yeah. I mean, and also it's it's going back to this, uh, consistency really. I mean, if you, if you think back to the dunk, for example, I mean, that, uh, Wolves, I mean, they hit his thigh first before he hit his hand and that was, they, they gave that a penalty. So it's, a, it's a little bit, uh, controversial. And the other one was, uh, with regard to gross putting down, um, uh, I can't remember
3: who it was. Um, it was Zlobazli. Uh, yeah. yeah,
5: yeah. Apparently, Klopp was uh, afterwards saying that he should have got a red card for that.
3: Well, it's not. I mean, they don't really do the double jeopardy unless it's something more aggressive, isn't it? I think. No, yeah. I,
2: know, I think guys. also Liverpool complaining about sending him off in a game involving nothing. a little bit ironic after last season. <laughs> exactly. exactly we had well. about six players the up
5: over in the, the game. So. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was kind of an interesting thing. And, uh, and just really going back to the comment you made, uh, Peter, with regard to um, you know results against different teams. I mean, I'm trying to try to track, if you like, the what I call the top seven sides that at the beginning of the season we kind of looked at and said, who are the top seven sides? I included Villa in that, but not not West Ham. And I'm just kind of tracking to see where we are in terms of points. And at the moment, we're plus three against the sides that we've played so far of mm. those sides. So going back, if we can kind of keep in the positive in the positive side with those top seven, and then we can just get the results against his lower sides, then we could have a very good season.
3: Indeed, yeah. And Peter? Um, I'm on?
5: Touching
2: on the brush thing, I thought I, it, it annoyed me in the first half, but I thought overall... He was quite even about it. Taylor kept his cards in his pocket far more than any referee I think I've ever seen
0: yeah. in the
2: Premier League. I mean, it would started off with McAllister taking out Matoma from behind in the first like five minutes, and he kept his card in his pocket basically because Matoma was about to run at Alexander Arnold and take him on, and McAllister just tripped him and he didn't book him. And Liverpool committed about four or five cynical fouls in the first half, which on another day might have got a booking. But then, in fairness, turning it around the second half, we committed a few second half, which could have been bookings as well. And Grosh, obviously, we got away with a little bit. So, you, you could argue it evened out. But certainly, I thought, first half, he could have booked a few of their players. Second half, probably, maybe one or two of ours as well. So, But he yeah. he, he was really keen to keep his cards in his pocket. And I don't know whether that was down to Liverpool sending off last weekend. And he didn't want to possibly risk having to send off a player either side. <laughs> he, thinks- he was trying to make sure there's no risk of that at all.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> definitely part of it. And incidentally, was one other... Uh, I know Chris, friend of the show, who's been on some of our match day specials, um, thought the Slobber's Lie should have gone for the foul on the um, West Stand byline. Um, I don't think so. I didn't think so at the time, particularly. Having seen it back now, definitely only a yellow card for that one, I think. Um, so I disagree with you, Chris, on that one, I'm afraid. Um, I thought Taylor was reasonably all right in this game. Uh, as you said, it all depends on whether you're happy with Letting the game flow to that degree or not, I suppose, is the only question in that regard. So he certainly—I uh,
2: think it's fine it. as long as you're even-handed. If he'd yeah. then book one of our players for our first foul or whatever sort of thing, it'd been different. But as it as it was in the end, he was very even-handed with it and, and just yeah. seemed keen to. And I think he was just trying to avoid a red card again for yeah. Liverpool yeah. after what happened last week. And yeah, he he, he let an awful lot go when you see, consider some of the fussy referees. I mean, so the did. thing that's really annoys me so much this season, since that Wolves game where we had MC so booked for passing the ball back to their goalkeeper and Cross booked for kicking the ball against the you know the kind of hoardings at the side, is how many opposing players have got away with far yeah. worse, more blatant time wasting than that. So many times, Marseille did it, Liverpool did it to a degree yesterday as well. It's like, well, I, did we only have this rule for the Wolves game then? Is they're not bothering anymore with it? Is it has think, it just disappeared? Yeah, after I think that's.
1: I think it was designed purely for us playing Wolves <laughs> I think that was the only game it was the trial period <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and also for the Man City um, women's player it. Greenwood
2: yesterday who got the second yellow card for standing over a free kick slightly too long in the first half it's insane you see that decision it was awful She yeah. basically stood over a free kick for like 25 seconds but was like trying to like work out whether it's long or short it wasn't time wasting and the referee gave her a second yellow card
3: yeah, a lot of, a lot of inconsistencies. And I'm mean, even just going, again, going back to the Villa game. Um, that match, from what we could see, there was, um, a, a number of decisions, that were very quickly given against us, including cards and weren't to Villa players. Yeah.
2: It's also worth noting two of their goals have now been ruled that they shouldn't have counted the second and third. Exactly. So,
3: which means that uh, our goal also, would have been equalized. Yeah. It's a totally different game. We're better in the second half generally. Um, and
2: console would have been sent off as well. It should have been sent off as well for that. For a second yellow with, um, when,
3: when he and Fathy were at it. So yeah, I mean, I mean, his foul on March, which wasn't penalized for, led to the, the third goal. Um, that could have been a booking as well. And that would have been a second for him because he, he, he was actually penalized for time for
2: wasting. Yeah.
3: Earlier in the game. Yeah. So that's that. But anyway, all of this, it's a shame we couldn't have won because we would have gone above Liverpool when we play Man City next time out. If we win that match, we go above Man City. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> no, not really, no. Um, we are going, aren't we, Pete, to, to that yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to us maybe getting our first-ever win there. You never know. The table as it stands, bizarrely, has Tottenham, partly due to what happened last weekend, are top on goal difference. In fact, I think on goal scored, um, ahead of Arsenal. <laughs> That's going to hurt, isn't it, for the Arsenal fans. Um, Man City, two behind on 18. Liverpool on 17. Villa, are still goal difference ahead of us after the level of victory over us. Again, that irritates us. 16 with us. And then West Ham in 7th on 14. And that leaves us ahead of Newcastle, Palace and Manchester United and Chelsea. The next four teams in there, all of which are very satisfying, I think, uh, all round. For everybody, let's keep it up there if we can. We have got the international break, of course, coming up next. So we won't be having any games next week. There are some international call-ups. I think Grosh is going again. I think uh, Dunk's been called up to the England squad again, despite some um, some mistakes in recent games. Um, was uh, I think also Ansu Fati has been called up to Spain now. Interestingly, so that's uh, that's another one that's just come up. Um, one thing just away from the Albion, a couple of crazy sackings. Um, well, Sheffield Wednesday, not surprising, sacked their manager recently. But um, Birmingham and Gillingham have sacked managers. Gilliam uh, sacked their manager when they're one point off second, four points off top, when they haven't been used to being that high up in their division. Uh, and now Birmingham today, uh, Monday as we speak, um, have sacked their manager, John Eustace, who's been doing a pretty good job. And Birmingham are in the top six and apparently they want to go in a different direction. Well, I don't know if that means down into League One or something. I don't know. (laughs) But um, they've sacked their manager and there's rumours that Wayne Rooney has been approached.
2: It it has a lot of kind of similarities to when their old owners took over just before we played them and they brought in, they got rid of Raul who was doing a really good job and brought in Zola and only just stayed up when they were like seventh or something at the time.
3: It's almost as if they've got this sniff of success. Oh, no, 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 we can't have that. Can't be anywhere near Aston Villa in the table. (laughs) And it's a crazy decision. And Wayne Rooney, I mean, his record, he's just left um, his club in the States where he's got a 24% win rate, I think it is. And it comes off the back of having been at Derby, where he had a twenty-five percent win rate. Um, not exactly.
2: I at Derby, he did a pretty good job there. I think in, yeah, in the situation yeah. they were in, I think twenty-five percent win rate doesn't really tell all the all the story there. No, I agree with you. Enough, Obviously, yeah. he's yeah. unproven though, and and Eustace, for a, a young manager, was doing a good job there. And I'm sure he'll pick up a new job somewhere pretty quickly because he's he was doing well at Birmingham. So someone will or look at that and and take him on. Yeah. So we're getting also, to the point now where there's going to be loads of sackings because there always is around October, November. People start worrying about how they're not, I mean, doing well enough, and worrying about what they're going to do for the next transfer window and all that. So,
3: one of the big, biggest clubs in League, um, one the um in League Two, sorry, um, is that uh, uh, Mark Hughes. They did stick with him for a while, but eventually they have sacked him. Bizarrely, Kings Lynn Town have sacked their manager the same week, also called Mark Hughes. So, not a good week for the Mark Hughes. They, swapped,
2: they could swap over.
3: Yeah, could do but um, anyway that's that right that pretty much wraps it up i know um simon's got to go anyway so um we'll say thanks to simon first of all in case you've got to really rush off thanks for joining us it's been good to have you back on with us um i hope you enjoyed it yeah it's been great
4: great fun chatting
3: always a pleasure and um i hope you're still enjoying your sports interactive uh, activities all good
4: yeah yeah it's all been very very busy new game coming out soon little plug there yeah.
3: go, go by fm24 Oh yes, he's doing a sale pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, plenty of fans. I'm sure that listen to this that um, that follow follow that. So that's uh, that's good. Thanks, Simon, for joining us. Thank you to Jack that was with us earlier as well, and thanks again to our regulars Andy Bass and Alan Dort. Thank you, folks, and Peter. Thank you as well as always. Stand or fall, at the Albion. Course, in the best traditions of recent times, another little epilogue to add to the podcast. It's been an epic, but it's going on slightly longer, folks, uh, because there's one bit I forgot to mention from the Liverpool game, which is that uh, Alexis McAllister was given a brilliant send off by the Albion fans um, in prompt from uh, Roberto De Zerbi, who went over to him, put his arm over over his shoulder. Uh, steered him towards the east stand, and then hit the usual lap of honour, as it were, that Brighton fans do, going around the pitch anti-clockwise from the east to the north to the the west, and then out through the tunnel. Uh, he joined the Albion players on that walk around in his own right and got a fantastic reception. I think he's conducted himself really well during the time he's with us and during the negotiations to leave. Other players. Not mentioning names, we all know who they are, didn't, to various degrees, didn't do so to a decent degree. And um, Alexis did, and I think he goes with all of our good wishes. Um, he started his career at Liverpool, I think he's doing well. And um, despite giving away a few free kicks, I thought he played reasonably well uh, on the, uh, the weekend as well on, on Sunday um, But it was great, it was really great To be able to send him off properly uh, Although we did that at Villa of course On the last game of the season away from home the home fans haven't had a chance to do that. So it was really nice for them to do to be able to do that. And um, it was a really nice gesture from Roberto, showing his human side and why he's such a great, emotionally intelligent uh, head coach, as well as a great tactician and, uh, well, football philosopher. Um, so great that was great to see. And also, one other footnote as well to the Marseille element of our podcast, um, our friend David, who we said missed the game due to a a freak scenario uh, involving several hours of delay on a train journey. He couldn't see the game even though he had a ticket and was planning to go. Um, he did say that he had lots of good contact with customer services uh, with support uh, supporter services Sorry, from the club. Um, they were very helpful and, and did all they could to try and facilitate him being able to get to the game. Obviously circumstances prevented it in the end but he was very complimentary about all of them and as such he sent an email which he copied into Paul Barber and Paul Barber replied within i think within a couple of hours um if not less um to say thanks we appreciate that and he copied in some other stuff uh for their uh for them to be able to appreciate the email. So um, thumbs up to the club for that. And I think they did a lot of good stuff on the day, actually, in terms of organising, extending the ticket collection timings and so on and so forth. The only criticism perhaps could be, uh, they could have done with the presence in the stadium after the game uh, for all of those horrendous shenanigans involving um, standing for large amounts of time, no water, no toilets and all the other stuff, the heavy delays getting out of the ground, uh, preposterous delays. In fact, um, Possibly they could have done something in that regard. But in all other regards, I think the club have have done excellently well in uh, the early stages of this European campaign. And uh, we'll be coming back with some more of that, of course, very soon. Ajax at home will be the next European match. And the next game for us in the Premier League away at Manchester City. We'll have a podcast before that game in the build-up. We may have another little mini-special as well coming up, so stay tuned for that. But once again, thanks for listening. Stand or fall.
0: Up the album Sports Social Podcast Network.